1: of the ggtmc with a little intro music from the uh, king of pop himself mj michael jackson uh as many of you know uh michael jackson uh unexpectedly passed away uh last week the very end of last week and uh we thought we'd uh throw a little music in there as we both grew up listening to him uh, it's no i'm sure a lot of us grew up listening to him so we thought we'd throw that out there is there any words you'd like to say uh, large Wing?
2: Absolutely. Um, I just I do want to say that it it did sadden me and surprise me. I mean, listen, I don't want it. First things first, I don't want to get into the whole child molestation thing. I don't think he did it. And I don't think it's a case uh, of being blinded by celebrity because I get frustrated quite often at um, uh, the celebrities that that are above the law, much like our friend Steven Seagal was uh, in his film. But I just, I don't want to get into that. It's what I believe and what you believe. That's fine. Not you specifically, but anyone believes that's fine. They believe what they believe. No one really knows. Um, but I do want to celebrate, uh, the music he had because he loomed larger over my childhood than almost anyone. I'd said to you, my Mount Rushmore, uh, of my childhood was him, Hulk Hogan, Bruce Lee and the Incredible Hulk. And, uh you know, I remember breakdancing in my kitchen when my grandmother would come over to the thriller album, uh, or what I thought was breakdancing. And really, I think with, with thriller, I think that that is another thing that may have really cemented my love of horror films, um, because it was the melding of, of the, the his music, uh, with horror films. And, uh, he, he brought videos to a new art or to a higher level of art. So, uh, his, he's truly will be missed. And I think, um, between Off the Wall and Thriller, no one's had a two album run like that, including Stevie in the seventies. So yeah. well, rest in actually, peace, King.
1: You could actually say Off the Wall, Thriller and Bad, because Bad even though some people don't like it as much, it sold a shit ton, so
2: it, it did sell a lot. I'm not I mean, I think there's some good tracks on it, but I love the, the funk and disco vibe of um yep. of the thriller and and uh off the wall albums. But yeah, even bad it I mean it sold a ton of
1: records, man. It sold a ton, yeah. So so Rest in peace, Michael. Uh, it's been a crazy week. Uh, Farrah Fawcett passed away as well. Uh, another pop icon who, uh, sad to see her go as well, to always be remembered for her infamous poster, but uh, she's actually done some genre movies. I don't know if you've ever saw Saturn 3 with Kirk Douglas and Harvey Cattell, but that's an interesting No, film. I haven't.
2: That sounds rather interesting, though.
1: It is interesting. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who else? Uh, also, uh, Ed McMahon passed away. Was that Ed this week, man? Was that this week or the week before? But it was it was close. Either way. But uh yeah, the hell you know, he passed away as well, so that's sad. And also uh just recently I just saw this yesterday that uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this gap there in Canada, but Billy old, uh, Billy Mays, the guy that sells OxyClean.
2: Yeah, they find him dead in his Florida home.
1: Yeah, so it's crazy, man. It's been a crazy week of people passing away. I never thought I'd mention Billy Mays on this show.
2: No, I'll tell you, you know, speaking of Ed McMahon, uh, Farrah, and Michael, I wondered if there there was an old Tonight Show episode where uh, Farrah and Michael Jackson were on it somehow because that would make for sort of a chilling YouTube clip, I think, in a sense.
1: Yeah, possibly. But either way, yeah, it has been a sad week for pop culture. So Uh, depending on your taste, obviously. So I know not everybody's a big fan, but we just wanted to mention, you know, our, our, uh, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is. I'm, I'm kind of stumped all of a sudden, but
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, just just sort of pay tribute to to someone who loomed large uh, over our childhood, and I think over just the consciousness of the world at a time when the internet wasn't around. And for him to be out there as much as he was, it really is a testament to his universal appeal. Yes.
1: All right, so I think that's uh, it for that part. Now we're going to mention what we're going to cover in this week. Uh, this week we are covering uh, from 19, I believe it's 78. It was uh, Convoy, I believe it's seventy eight. Uh seventy eight, yes. Yes, I thought I thought. Uh nineteen seventy eight Sam Peckinpah, Trucker quote unquote masterpiece convoy with Chris <laughs> Christopher and Ernest Borgnine. And uh also uh <laughs> hey, I'm drawing a boy, can you believe that? I believe it's nineteen seventy it was nineteen seventy three, wasn't it?
2: Uh the spook who sat the door was nineteen seventy three, yes. Yes.
1: My memory is good. Thank you. <laughs> also the year I was born again, so nice. Uh, yeah, The spooky stuff by the Door of one by one Ivan Dixon, who uh, we'll have a lot to talk about with this film. There's no doubt about it. It's not it's not what you think it would be. So uh, I'm sure there'll be some interesting conversation to come. But what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and take a break. And then we're going to come back and uh, start talking about some trucker love. so And I, oh, go I ahead. indeed
2: some trucker <laughs> love. And these are the second films by each respective director. So who would have thought, like we've said before, <laughs> that when we first started the show, Ivan Dixon would be running neck and neck with the great Bloody Sam.
1: It's it's like a bloody Ivan and bloody Sam. (laughs) All right. So we'll be back in, uh, uh, in just a few here with a review of convoy. All right.
2: If you haven't been listening to outside the cinema recently, here's what you've missed. Our one-year anniversary show. God Congratulations, if you are listening, Hooray us, you have come across the one-year anniversary episode of Outside the Cinema. Woo. Ryan's tearful goodbye.
1: <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't cry. Chris' excited welcome. And for the first official time, new co-host,
2: Mr. Chris. How's everybody doing? And Chris is sudden embraced by the OTC nation. I am, I'm at a loss for words, which is really bad because this is an audio format.
1: Oh, yeah, and you missed a whole lot of movie talk, too.
2: You source for a cult movie
0: discussion. never
1: Ah, uh, Breaker19, this here's a rubber duck. You've got a copy on me, Big Ben, come on. Oh, uh, yeah, 10-4, Big Ben, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear to Flagtown, come on. Yeah, that's a Big 10-4 there, Big Ben. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we have got us a convoy. moon On the sixth of June in a Kenworth pulling logs, cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. We is heading for Bear on I-10 about a mile out of Shaky Town. I says, pen, this here's a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down.
0: This is
2: is a samurai looking for Big Willie. Come on. Yeah, breaker, breaker. This is the Big Willie from the North Pole. Come in. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, yeah. i kind of noticed that podcasting is kind of like the trucker chatter of the uh, modern age.
2: (laughs) It is, and uh, my dad actually, trucker, and and I sort of was immersed in trucker culture as a youngster. His uh, CB handle was Weepin' Willie. (laughs)
1: Nice.
2: So a little shout-out to my my dear dad.
1: Mine probably would be tater salad. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> or cream of broccoli, because I eat too much spinach. <laughs> 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 all right. All right. <laughs> Let me just say that uh, Convoy, some people might out there might like that song. I think that it might be the most infamously bad one-hit wonder song of all time. <laughs>
2: And not saying something, because you have the Rick D's Disco Duck in that in that soul, whole...
1: Oh, I'll listen to Disco Duck know. a thousand times before I listen to, come on and join the convoy.
2: It's so bad. It is
1: it is so bad. <laughs> I like how they say, we're going to roll this trucking convoy. It's yeah, like, like you hear it when you're a kid, and you're like, did they just say fucking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, they said trucking. <laughs> well, well, I had to play it, though, because it's just an infamous song, and... It, it features quite prominently in the movie, so had to play it. All right, so our first feature is Convoy from 1978. Uh, really the second to the last maybe Sam Peckinpah film. So, uh, And we'll talk more about the condition Mr. Peckinpah was in while he was making this. Uh, basic plot for the film is truckers form a mile-long convoy in support of a trucker's vendetta with an abusive sheriff. Uh, don't really feel like there's a trucker vendetta in the film at all, but that's just me. I feel like it's more and of, me. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like it's more of a situation that the person gets themselves into and they can't really help it at that point. A vendetta would imply that they're looking for trouble.
2: Yeah, I would say shit escalates real fast in a truck stop diner <laughs> brawl.
1: Yes. I would say vendetta means you're actually going back at somebody. He's trying to get out of the damn state. Yeah. <laughs> so that doesn't really scream vendetta to me, but whatever. Uh, and, this, and the movie is, of course, based on that uh, awesome song by C.W. McCall there. Awesome in quotation marks. Uh, uh, the, what was it called? It's called Convoy. Of course it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I picked this film. This has actually been on our uh, roadmap since uh, September of last year. So uh, we finally got around to covering it. So uh, I'll kick it over to you and we'll get going on this thing.
2: Yes, indeed. It... Um Oh, where to begin with Convoy I, I'm a big Peckinpah fan now I haven't seen all of his films there's, there's a good amount I haven't seen but there's a good amount I have seen and I'd said to you when we first brought up the subject of Convoy that as much as I think this film has its charm it's clearly the worst Peckinpah film uh, I've seen by a country mile but you know I mean this was at the time when he was at the height of his booze and drugs um, you know a lot of the actors were told to just fuck the script I'd live your lines and and it, it basically, I mean, there's you can read a lot on this film. Um, James Coburn of all people directed it. If you look in the credits, he was credited as the second unit director, but he directed a lot of it when uh, Bloody Sam was in the trailer. Raylan, Raylan lines off the uh, <laughs> off the of the vinyl.
1: Off uh, Ally McGraw's nipples or something.
2: Off <laughs> Ali McGraw's nipples. Um, the film. I mean, it went five million over budget. Um, it, no, it was it was it was, it was basically an excuse to party, is what I've heard. Yeah, it was an excuse to party in the desert, and I think uh, from what I'd heard, and I thank God this didn't happen. Peckinpah's cut was three and a half hours long and had no music other than the theme song.
1: <laughs> as much as I'm glad that didn't happen, I would love to see that cut. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh fuck! Three and a half hours, but I mean, we've said all this. But I think the ironic thing is, this was the highest-grossing Peck and Paw film ever. It made forty-six and a half million.
1: Yeah, well, it came I'll out during that out. Yeah, well, it came out during the height of the trucking craze, and Christofferson had a run where he was bankable. So uh, you know, I can see that. I can see that.
2: Yeah, it came. I came right on the heels of uh, Smokey and the Bandit, which we'll, of course, mention a few times in this uh, review.
1: Yeah, because there are some similarities. Actually, there's one huge similarity. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> yes. So, uh, uh, But yeah, I mean, I, th- I can see that in a way. I mean, it was a very popular film when I was growing up. I was five or six when this came out, and uh, I remember people talking about it quite a bit. My dad was actually a Chris Christopherson fan musically. Not so much movie was. Uh, but uh, I can remember when this hit cable, I watched it religiously, and I, I bet I've seen this film way more than uh any other peck and ball film i know i know i've seen this film more than i've seen any other peck and ball film as as far as numerous as far as a number would go as far as seeing it you know so many times that's the this is the one i've seen oh man i can't even think of how many times i've seen it, it it's it's a lot though i guess i had that's a fascination crazy. with the rubber duck <laughs> it was yes. it was just on cable all the time that's the reason why i saw it so much growing up you know it just always would come on and I always thought there was nudity in it and stuff, but there's actually a shower scene in it with everybody wearing their clothes, which we'll get to because it was odd.
2: Yeah, we will get to the, the shower, the t-shirt, to the wet t-shirt shower, shower scene. But uh, the cast of this film, it's a very interesting cast. Like you, you had mentioned about your dad uh, enjoying Chris Christopherson, I've always been a big fan um of his, well, I like his music. I mean, I can't say I I know every song of his off by heart, but you know his work with the Highwaymen and mm-hmm. and stuff I've heard, I really like. And I just find him to be an interesting person who I think has a, an undeniable charisma, as sort of a a modern day kind of cowboy figure. Um, I really, really like him. Um, of course, we've got the Ernest Borgnine, the Borgnine himself, <laughs> uh, who's one of our favorites. Um, we get good old Burt Young,
1: <laughs> <He's> playing Pigpen <laughs> or Love Machine slash Pigpen.
2: Yes. Uh, we get uh, one of the foxes of the time, Allie McGraw, who I'm not a big fan of uh, looks, so I think she's okay, but I'm not a big fan of short hair. And of course, we get in a sort of smaller part, Seymour Castle. Um, so it's it's a very interesting cast, as well as some other sort of...
1: You've um, got a exploitation actor in there, too, Franklin the J.
2: Yes. Yes, oh. who plays... Uh, he's Actually, I like him a lot in Spider Mike.
1: Yeah, Spider Mike. He's uh, Yeah, I liked him a lot, too. Uh, you get... Uh, I'm going to agree with you when it comes to Alan McGraw. I've never never really seen the fascination. I mean, when she had longer hair, she is kind of pretty, but I always thought uh, Mr. McQueen could have done better.
2: Indeed, he could have. Yeah, so this was actually, I think, the second film that they worked together on because of The Getaway. Um, yes. Meaning Peckinpah, not McQueen, of course. Yes. Um, so, yeah, no, that is interesting. Um, now... This film, as I'd said to you, to me, it's my least favorite and clearly the worst of Peckinpah's films that I've seen. Because to me, as much as there are Peckinpah flourishes, there's ways that it's very un-Peckinpah. In fact, the song opens, or the song, well, I guess in a way, uh, the film opens with the song, and it's got sort of the little subtitle where it's got the words for the song, like, uh, it was Saturday in Arizona, noon, or something, and it comes up on the screen, and I think, this is fucking tacky, and it's just so un... Sam Peckinpah, and I think it was just clearly reflective of where he was at at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a uh, yeah. It's it's just sloppy in spots, and it's funny you heard that it was uh, three and a half hours. That means that that kind of all makes sense because the film feels uh, incomplete in some ways. In
2: parts, it certainly does. Um, one of the first things I noticed when uh, when I had first seen this film. And it's something that very clearly Quentin Tarantino has noticed, is it's got the greatest hood ornament in the history of cinema. It's got the rubber duck, <laughs> yes. this snarling sort of Donald Duck leaning forward. And those of you that have seen Death Proof will now know, if you haven't seen this film, where he got the hood ornament from. It's from this film. Yes. <laughs> from the, the rubber duck himself. It's a, great uh, hood, so.
1: it's a great hood ornament. It's got actually a little bit of hair on it, too, so it kind of kind of moves a little bit if you look at it closely it's got like a little fuzz down the back of it or something (laughs) yeah down
2: its back exactly like white fuzz uh so it's very interesting um it's nice to see chris christopherson in a lead role um getting back to him for a moment because a lot of times he did supporting roles and i always was left wanting more from him but sam peckinpah is a guy that used him well in lead roles and in supporting roles
1: yeah he's got he's got a unique delivery of lines i mean when he talks he sounds like a like a cowboy, he sounds like a, uh, you know, he just sounds like that type of character, a man's man, you know, a southern man's man type character. And the way he talks has always been kind of interesting to me. Sometimes, I think some people criticize his line delivery as not being a very good actor, but I think that's, you know, because we're so used to people speaking their lines a certain way in films that when somebody comes along and actually speaks like they talk, it kind of throws us for a loop a little bit. And But I always like the way he... He says stuff and and things. I don't, I think he's underrated as an actor. I think he's actually very good. I know he's a good songwriter. Uh, uh, that part I definitely know. Brilliant songwriter. But yeah. but yeah, I know he's he's always been kind of underrated as an actor. And of course, you know, he got kind of lumped into the young stud type uh, movement there in the late seventies and early eighties there. And there's a lot of scenes in here, no shirt on. So we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> no, but I agree. I think he's a good actor and underappreciated. I mean. I really like him. I don't have any problems with his acting, quite frankly. I think, and and beyond that, he's got an undeniable charisma and a look, you know. So
1: yeah, he and It doesn't easy. seem like
2: this, like in, you get in this day and age, this prepackaged, uh, synthetic thing. It seems authentic.
1: Yeah, he's he's probably one of the last great actors who could say a lot with just a look, mm-hmm. uh, because he he does that. And even as recent as films like Blade, I've seen him in stuff. He still says a lot with a look. Yes, and uh, that's that's hard to do. I mean, uh, Steve McQueen was the master of. Uh, He always said acting was reacting, and, uh, you know, not saying much. You don't have to say much. You can do a lot with just your face, and Christopherson evidently must have taken a lesson or two from that because he don't always talk when he has to.
2: No, no, exactly, and, um, you know, this film, and we talk about his sort of uh, cowboy uh, image, and this film, in a lot of ways, is a Western to the point where the characters are conscious of it, and they call themselves cowpokes and and cowboys, and you hear... um, Spider Mike says to the co, oh, I've heard more stories about you than Jesse James, and you know, we really, it becomes something that we're aware of, and, and clearly the characters are aware of that, and they're sort of like the modern-day cowboys, and, and this very much feels like a modern-day Western from uh, from Sam.
1: Yes. No, I don't have any doubts. I think this is very much a Western. Uh, the Uh You know, the trucks are the horses. Uh, you get the landscapes. They shoot it all out West, Arizona, New Mexico. Uh Well, that's what it's supposed to be. I don't know where they actually shot it and look it up, but... Uh, this is very much the West. Everybody's, people got cowboy hats on, you know, it's, there's no doubt in my mind it was supposed to be a uh, a Western. Oh, yeah. And it's actually, it's actually a good idea to make it a Western. Uh, and I like that idea of it. I like that it's got the Western aesthetic with the truckers involved. I like that.
2: Yeah, no, really, really greatly. Um, now, also with the trucker, the trucker stuff. I, I love the, the lingo. Um, you know, this, this was a time when if people don't know this, the whole trucker image was very cool in the seventies with TV shows. You have BJ and the bear. And yet everyone was doing trucker movies, Bert, Clint. I mean, everyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you get the CB lingo. Like I, I remember my dad had a book. He showed me once with all the lingo and, and this one we get to hear about the bear and bears are the, the CB talk for, for a cop, and, and when there's like an unmarked car, I like when they say that you get a bear. They got a bear, in i a plain brown wrapper.
1: Yeah, yeah. I got him in a plain brown wrapper.
2: Yeah, that was good. But and speaking of the bear and the plain brown wrapper, it's of course Ernest Borgnine who is in full on Jackie Gleason mode here with the stash and the hat.
1: Yes, Dirty Lyle, the uh, one and only. Uh, yeah, Dirty Lyle just sounds like it sounds almost like a Dirty Sanchez. <laughs>
2: This one would involve more sweat somehow, I think. Oh yeah.
1: I can't imagine getting a dirty Lyle. <laughs> I don't want to imagine getting a dirty Lyle. Like a tea bag with sweat on it. <laughs> but uh yeah, Ernest Bor- Borgnine who uh, has, you know, that great uh, face. I was just actually reading up on Borgnine uh, a couple weeks ago just cuz you know, he's still around. He's in his 90s and you know, he's he's an interesting guy and uh, he's very conservative, very old school. Some of the things he says and does I don't agree with, but as an actor uh i've always liked him because he's not a matinee idol and he can play bad guys and he can play like the lovable grandpa and he can do that even in the same film sometimes he's he's uh really got a great uh kind of charisma with the camera i mean i'm glad peckinpah saw it because not a lot of people see it and uh, he, he he's always great when he's on screen even in this film where he's the bad guy i still loved it whenever he was on screen oh yeah
2: he's one of my favorites um and Another one that yeah that Sam used uh, a couple times uh, in my favorite western of course uh, of all time but no he he is great in it um, and that's the thing that the testament to him is that as much as it's very much uh, a Jackie Gleason smoking the bandit thing it's still Ernest Borgnine like it's not you know he brings his own thing to it a little bit
1: yeah
2: you know um, so and but the one thing was I found he looked a little they kept talking about how fat he was but he looked a little more svelte than usual I thought
1: <laughs> yeah. They kept calling him names and stuff, but uh, I think it was just to get at him because obviously he he's a little heavy. I, I, no, I liked his character a lot. He he goes from funny and buffoonish sometimes to just downright evil.
2: Yeah, menace.
1: And then toward the end of the film, he get uh, actually a, he's he's probably the most interesting character in the film, but easily next to next to Martin Penwald, aka the Rubber Duck,
2: <laughs> who who in the in the sort of uh, long line of of awesome. Tough guys. See, that, that name is up there with uh, Marion Cobretti. It's an awful name. Martin Penwald sounds like an accountant. Yes. And, uh, the, you know, him and Marion Cobretti have something in common. Great nicknames, bad birth names. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a scene, I had talked to you about this actually last night, obviously off the air, um, about, uh, you know, I have a lot of complaints about the film, but one of the things people always say that. Uh, Sam Peckinpah is a misogynist and so on and so forth. But I think some of his handling of of some of the stuff with women in a few of his films specifically um, are very simple, very brief, but very, very effective. There's a scene when the duck is at a truck stop and uh, he has a waitress there that he he, uh, has a bit of a thing going with. And her name is Violet. And she comes to his bunk and it's the duck's birthday. And, um, that whole scene with her in the bunk and him having to leave and everything. And just, just the look on her face, that's all it is. It's a look. There's nothing said. You completely understand the heartbreak and the disappointment in her eyes. And it's a scene that to me is very tinged with sadness and sort of, you can think about her broken dreams as a woman and, and being very unhappy in life. And I just, I really like that moment with her and just the look on her face. And there was a the same. I would compared it to sort of the broken soul of, um, of Warren Oates' girlfriend, uh, Isela Vega, and Alfredo Garcia.
1: Yeah, there's actually a moment where she says, he actually says to her that she should leave that no good husband of hers, and obviously she doesn't want to leave him. It's, it's one of those just broken relationships, but it sounds like she's trapped in it. And it is a sad moment. She has a very sad face. Uh, There's a scene where she has a bow on for like a present and stuff. And it's just, it's uncomfortable. I think it's supposed to be seductive, but it just doesn't work. Uh, And, you know, I think the duck knows it doesn't work too. He kind of feels bad for her slash attracted to her at the same time. It's a very weird, very realistic relationship though for people on the road, lonely, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you get out there and. You got a name like Rubber Dick. I mean Rubber Duck. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, if your handle's Rubber Dick, you're probably getting a lot of action. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, certainly that uh, Rubber Dick is a handle.
1: Yes. <laughs> in
2: more ways than one. Yes. <laughs> um, now let's talk about the Love Machine, aka Pigpen. Uh, I expected the Love who's paid by Burt Young, as we mentioned. I expected him to have a female-made robot riding shotgun in that truck.
1: Oh. Talking, yeah. about, talking
2: about love machines. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and Burt Young, who, I'm, Burt Young plays one character. It seems like all the time, <laughs> he never plays any other character other than the kind of goofy sidekick uh, slash kind of cool guy. I don't know. It's it's a kinda weird heavy. A little yeah, bit. yeah. He sometimes plays like the bad guy in films and stuff. But he he just he's always done that, and he's always got the Burt Young laugh. At some point in time, the Burt Young laugh comes into a film,
2: <laughs> and Burt Young has looked the same for so long.
1: He still looks like that.
2: <laughs> He still looks like that.
1: I like him. I've always liked him in films. And of course I'll always, he'll always be Pauly to me from yes. the Rocky films. He'll always be Pauly, no matter what he does. I think he's even in a Leone film. I think he's in once upon a time in America actually. And, uh, but he'll always, always, always be, uh, Pauly. And uh, even when I see him as pig pen slash love machine, I think, Hey, look, Pauly's driving a truck.
2: <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. I don't know if you noticed this, but we'll get to the scene, but I'll mention it now. Um, on the side of his truck, when his truck crashes through th- something, you know what the name of the company is that he works for?
1: I didn't even pay attention.
2: This is very cool. It's called Polly's Hauling. Nice. It's on the side of the truck when they crash into the jail.
1: <laughs> nice.
2: <laughs> so I thought that was a nice little wink because Rocky one at least had been out at this point. That's another um,
1: another very Western element of them breaking into the jail. Oh yeah,
2: because it's <laughs> out in the middle of the desert. And, you yeah. know, again, very very Western. Um, there's a slow-motion ketchup bottle smash with the ketchup spraying <laughs> in, in, tr- in the diner truck stop uh, brawl. And I have to think that it's, it's a sort of a wink and a nod to the slow-motion bloody violence that Peckinpah had put on screen so many times before.
1: That's the first of the slow-motion scenes in the film, right? That one's the one that doesn't really work for me because it's kind of got more of a comedic element to it. Uh, it works for what it is, but it doesn't feel like it fits into the movie. Well, here's the thing. I think
2: my main problem with a lot of the scenes when they don't work is that the scene works fine. It's the music they lay behind it that doesn't work. For example, if you take that stupid barroom brawl banjo, <laughs> it's almost like a Burt film and it doesn't need to work. It doesn't work in this part. And oh. I think if you take that out, it's the cool. violence is shot well. Uh, the the glass breaking, the people getting thrown around, the punching and everything else. It's edited well and it works well. It's just that the music brings everything to a
1: halt. Oh, it's completely like a Burt film, completely like a Burt film, because Burt would uh, get in bar fights, and then a bunch of music would play, and everybody would laugh and and stuff, even though this one kind of ends on a downer a little bit, the fight scene, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's completely, I actually wrote that down in my notes, you get uh, some comedic slow-mo in a scene that seems to be taken from a Reynolds film, that's actually my note.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it really felt like a Burt film to me, too. Um one thing I do like about the film is I like the variation in in the rubber duck sort of ensemble. Um, you know, in terms of his trucker friends, you got the black guy, you got the black woman, you got the gay truckers, you got Polly. You get this real good eclectic mix of people. I think it would have been very boring and bland, at, le- at the very least, visually, if it had been a bunch of white guys in cowboy hats. I think this gives everyone their own personality and at times their own moments in the film.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Everybody's unique looking in a lot of ways. Yeah, they are. And I love
2: that um, uh, Widow Woman, um, who's the, the the black female um, trucker, she inevitably flips her truck uh, on the chase. <laughs> she has a funny line where the truck tips over. She gets up and she, she kicks it and she goes, Goddamn piece of white junk. I knew I should have bought black.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice little, nice but, little stab uh, there. It's interesting. These two, they got a little racial comment and then we got a... Another film we're covering on this show that involves race quite heavily.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we get a very impressive uh, car smashing through a billboard in the roof of a house.
1: That was a hell of a stunt, yes.
2: <laughs> it, it's undercranked when it first goes off, but you cannot deny that whoever did that, whoever was driving that car, had balls the size of grapefruits.
1: That might have been Peckinpah showing up for the set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh
2: god that's a good one sammy you're right man rest in peace sam
1: but you know we do
2: know you were under the influence yeah with this fucking headband on with a bunch of acid tabs in the in the brow of it just rocking and rolling yeah a good point man but it's an impressive stunt anyone who sees the film will uh, certainly recognize that um You'd mention this Christopherson does try his hand at tough trucker tits.
1: <laughs> yes, yes he does.
2: <laughs> and he's a little bit sweaty, so again we get that in this film which was probably one of the early uh, examples of it.
1: Yeah. And it's it's got a great good movie poster. The most poster's great too. It's like a painted/drawn photo of uh of a uh, Christopherson no shirt, thumbs in the thumbs in the waistline of his pants, Adam McGraw with his arms around him very draped off him yeah very sexual sensual type cover and stuff but yeah Kristofferson always known to he likes to take the shirt off so oh yeah he didn't have any trouble he asked for a t-shirt no. and it took him 20 minutes to get him a t-shirt finally he put one on
2: <laughs> yes exactly um i want to get back to the music for a moment because there's a scene where the trucks are driving through the dust and the dirt and this music is up there for me with um what film was it we just we just blasted Pino Donaggio for? Um, oh, Barbarians! This is up there with that for me because we get this awful royal court coronation music as the trucks drive through the dust. Then it morphs into ice capades, circus performer music.
1: <laughs> it is truly out of all Sam Peckinpah's moments. If he had anything to do with the scene, it's it's truly his most odd decision. I'm not saying it's horrible. It's just it doesn't fit into the film. I, I like it for what it is, but it I just. It doesn't fit the mood of the film at all. It's very, very strange, but (laughs) I don't even know if I have words to describe it. It's, it's, it definitely, it might've been like the day before he ran the truck into the, uh, ran the Chevelle into the barn when he showed up to (laughs) sit because, uh, yeah, it's, it's out there, man. I mean, it's, it's a wacky fucking strange, weird montage. I don't, I don't need, it's almost, I guess it's kind of like trucker porn. Yeah, it is. It would be like Trucker truck swirling around. And a, lot of, a lot of dust and and all this. It's just a weird choice. I mean, it's I, really weird. I mean,
2: the only thing I can think of is that they were going for a comedic edge again with these big lumbering vehicles and it was almost like um, – What's that piece of music in Fantasia when the elephants are dancing around? Not uh, Flight of the Bumblebee. What is it? I can't, I can't remember. Uh, da, 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 da. I don't know what that is. is it a, Whatever is it, it the is. Blue uh,
1: Newbie Waltz? I don't know if that's what that is. I don't know.
2: I, I don't know. But maybe, was, I don't know if it's supposed to be comedic. But again, if it was, it was a fucking misfire because it shouldn't have been. Um, <laughs> did you see, speaking of our boy Sam, did you see him in amongst the crew standing up in the back of the pickup truck when the old rubber duck was getting interviewed?
1: Yeah, I saw him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's. He's, he's in there
2: <laughs> yeah he's in there man holding the mic or something uh, one of the scenes that i think is very effective in the film and it's a, it's a grim scene and shows that he's still got it um is there's a scene when a character has to break off the convoy uh, for personal reasons and he gets picked up and he gets put in a jail cell and he gets worked over really good and because of the the social context and just uh, everything really—it's a really grim scene that doesn't show a lot, but it still has a powerful and emotionally dark scene that you really, you really fear for the character in.
1: You know what I like about that scene the most? I like that Borgnine sits down, and it's when you start to realize that Borgnine uh, is starting to realize how out of control the situation's gotten. Yes, it's Borgnine who really makes that scene work to me because he sits down, and you know he can tell he doesn't like being a part of this, but. There's the fraternity of cops, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he kind of knows that this is just the way it is. I mean, I'm not saying he's an angel because he actually calls Franklin Ajay's character a uh, boy. Boy a few times. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, as as we know, that's kind of like an old school, like old man, racist type way to to uh, address an African-American male. And uh, especially in the South or maybe out West. I don't know. But I can tell you in the South, it's definitely something, you know, we try not to say because you don't want to say that. This doesn't sound right. What are you doing there, boy? Yeah, it you know? So you can tell that he's really torn right there. And that's really when his character starts to start to become more human and not just a cardboard cut out, dirty Lyle bag. Yeah. I think
2: he he's, he's an, an asshole and a ball buster, but I think there is a shred of conscience in him as much as, yeah, he's a, certainly like you said, no angel, but like you said, he really realized this is getting way out of fucking control now. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, there's a scene where I had mentioned that there's a jailbreak scene. And again, This scene, the trucks all pull up. It's a great shot. They're going to smash into the the jail cell and and bust the guy out. And the scene is broken. The tension is broken again because we get the fucking Hazard County banjo. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, they they had some odd choices. All I can think is that it's just because, you know, Burt Reynolds was the biggest star in the world at this point. Yes. And definitely there's moments that have the Burt Reynolds film feel. And then there's moments that have the – Sam Peckinpahville, which we'll get into, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I only got a few more notes here because I know I've been kind of running long. Um, There's a great, again, one of the scenes that works, a great tense final standoff with the duck. And this is the only time to me in the film that I could think of that the music was right. And it's really reminiscent, very much so. And I'm surprised I never thought of it before, of a few of my other of his favorite films. So much, this ending is so much like that. And something you love, a convention you love, where... The character has to make a decision, a very serious decision in the film to do something that there's no turning back from.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'll talk about that more when I go over my notes.
2: Yeah. Now, that's all I'll say. I do want to say that there's something that happens uh, at the end that I fucking hate. Um, I don't want to say any more than that because I think even being somewhat cryptic, it could still... Reveal some things, you know what I mean. And anyone who's seen the film, I'd be happy to talk about it with them. But I really hate it, and I think it's very unsam. Um, and I, that must have been, I, you know, I'm not seeing anymore. That's it,
1: <laughs> very, yes, it is very unsam. That's a new, new, uh, way to describe films. It's unsam like, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So, the things I want to talk about is again, yeah, I've seen this film a ton of times with the uh, and I really got into the trucker culture as a kid, you know, as a kid growing up. Uh, I didn't, I had a neighbor who. He was my best friend growing up, and his dad was a truck driver. So obviously, we would get inside his truck when he was home, and you know, act like we were the rubber duck. And I would make my friend act like he was Ali McGraw and take his shirt off. No, that's not true. <laughs> that's that's not true at all. <laughs> but no, he uh, we would get in there. You know, we would act like we were the rubber duck and whatnot. And uh, so it was a pretty important film for my childhood and stuff. So I have a natural affection for the film that's going to give it when we get to the end here. It's going to give it a higher score than I actually think the film probably rightly deserves. But it kind of has that nostalgia factor a little bit because I remember quite a bit. I actually wanted to grow up and be a truck driver. You know, I told my mom that, and she wasn't very happy. So,
2: In my mom, I had said I wanted to be a trucker, and my mom didn't mind too much because my dad was. But
1: uh, it was the first moment of my life when I realized that my mom said to me, "You don't want to be a truck driver. You'll be away from home all the time." And that was the first moment, like as a kid, you don't think about that. And it was the first moment I realized, well, well yeah, she might be right. You know, if I have a wife and if I had kids, I might, I might not want to be away from home that much. Yeah, so that's true. It was kind of like a awakening a little bit, and I guess I was probably like eight or nine, so you know, maybe a little young. But I didn't even like girls yet, you know, ew, girl, ooh. But I, I liked them enough to think about, you know, like peaches and penitentiary. There we go. So I knew a thing or two about a thing or two. Yes. All right. So uh, yeah, we talked enough about the cast. So I don't really want to talk about the cast anymore, but I do want to say that Peck and Paul once again, though I don't know if he did it or Coburn did it, but I'm sure it's Peck and Paul because. He always finds great local faces or character actor faces just to put in the background of films. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of great faces in this film. Uh, A lot of the truck stop, you see a lot of just secondary extras. And at the hippie love fest uh, shower scene, that nobody takes their clothes off. These are the most, these are the dumbest hippies in the world. I I think part of the point of being a hippie is to get wasted, live free, and just be butt naked as much as possible. And, And these hippies are so dumb, they don't even take their clothes off to take a shower. What's the point? And the truck drivers are in there, too. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if I'm a truck driver and I'm around a bunch of free-willing hippies, I'm getting butt naked. I'm going, I'm going to have some fun.
2: <laughs> You're absolutely right. All, my rubber duck's going to come out real fast. Yes,
1: right. Quack, quack. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, I like that. Uh, what we talked about. The one thing I think that is the, one of the biggest strengths of the film is that it is a Western with the trucker aesthetic applied to it. And I like that. I like the jail scene, uh, even though it does have some clunky stuff with the music and whatnot. I like... Uh, I like the scenes of them riding through town. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like gank. It's like, uh, you know, the, when the bad guys come into town, you know, you've got the small towns and they get them out and and whatnot. And uh, it, it's just, it's, it's an interesting choice. And it's just, it's a great idea that's flawed in this film, you know. And it, it's right. I can see that Coburn was helping out quite a bit because. You can tell by some of the acting choices and whatnot, and then you, you get the moments that are very peck and paw ass. There's a lot of slow mo in the film and, and I said this to you last night, the the, all, the actually the wrecks themselves, they have this great kind of musical sting to them and this kind of grimness to them. Mm-hmm. Even though some of the wrecks nothing bad happens. It just there's these the wrecks seem violent somehow. I guess. Yeah, like, the, like a wreck should. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But I think it's because of the slow mo and the music. You know, I mean, slow-mo is overdone in action now, but we got to remember who this is. This is Sam Peckinpah, so, you know, he's kind of like the creator of the slow-mo action in a lot of ways. If he's not the creator, he's definitely the one that brought it to the forefront. Yep. And uh, so when he does it, it has a different feel. It's like he know he knew how to use it. Yes. Whereas so many directors, unfortunately, don't know how to use it all the time. Uh, so, you know, I mean, take that as you want to take it, but... I think the accidents and some of the stuff with the car, there's actually one great scene. Excuse me. There's one great scene in that final standoff where we see a truck jerk to the left. And, uh, it's almost like the truck is alive. Like Like a horse,
2: like it's the horse. Yeah.
1: yeah, uh, Like it's like, it's alive. It's such a, even in slow-mo, it's such a violent jerk to the left. And it's such a reminder that somebody's behind the wheel or it's such a reminder that, uh, you know maybe the truck is a is is a thing all its own uh it, it was a great moment i really liked it and i liked that the truck always had this certain sound effect too that when it when it would hit something it's like you know it had this kind of like weird sound effect to it almost gave the truck a life of its own so
2: that just that noise you made just sounded like sloth from goonies yeah
1: it did <laughs> <laughs> it kind of did <laughs> <laughs> but i think some of the mistakes of the film are that it was capitalizing on Burt Reynolds and, and, and kind of the trucker culture that he had kind of created, which he called, you know, redneck romance films or whatever, and how he's not real proud of those, even though I like quite a few of them. I don't think, I don't know if he's got anything to be ashamed of, but it was what it was. I mean, you know, you're number one movie actor in the world. You know, you, you make your money. You 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 know, I mean, we, we, we could sit around and make fun of all these actors all we want. Nicolas Cage for making his crappy action flicks, uh, John Travolta for playing, you know, the over-the-top bad guy, but... These with, guys, a, with a dead
2: cat on his head.
1: Yes, these guys are always, I mean, they're always going to be remembered for something else. And it's unfortunate that they do these things, but I also have to think sometimes outside of that, I have to think, okay, well, they might, you know, they have a family to support as well. I know they got more than enough money. They don't really need to make these films, but I don't know. I mean, if somebody throws a bunch of money at me, it's going to be hard for me to say no. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like that this film was maybe Peck and Peckinpah cashing a check too. I don't really think he really wanted to make this movie. I think it just kind of fell in his lap and he ended up making it anyway, so... Uh, or was trying to make it. I mean, he was driving that Chevelle pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, they always... Again, though, what we talked about a minute ago, the, his films always seem to be about... He loves the the character who has to make that decision. The problem with this film, when the decision is made, is I really never felt like there was a reason for him to make that decision. Yes. Okay, I mean, I understand what he was going for, but I never felt like through the whole film that it really had to, did it have to go that far?
2: <laughs> and yeah, cause it's not like you feel like it spiraled to the point where he, where he had to, it's just, there was other, I, I think at this point he still had options.
1: Yes. And it's like, you know, and those decisions in films I love, but, and as a kid, I really loved the decision in this film, but I just watching it as an older man, I feel like <clears throat> it never really, it never really needed to go that far. Like there could have been something worked out.
2: <laughs> well, it never could have. And it's not even like some other car films of the time where it's a philosophical conscious decision, as opposed to a decision they're forced to made. Right. They're forced right. to make.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, And there's that great moment of noise, 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 silence. And then just footsteps. Yes. The sound of, uh, the sound of, uh, running. Uh, and that's very peck and pause. I mean, that's, that's him in a nutshell and stuff. And, I'll, I'll agree with you on some stuff that's very unsam-like toward the end of the film and stuff, but I I can see why it was done. I'm not always happy with what was done, but yeah, I can see why it was done. It oh, was unsam-like, no doubt. Oh, very much.
2: I can see why it was done.
1: Yeah, maybe they were hoping for convoy too, which I wish they would have made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, trucker, trucker but, trilogy.
2: But they would have cast like William Cat in the Rubber Duck Roll or
1: something. Nice, nice. <laughs> William kent That's a name I didn't expect to hear this morning. <laughs> who who would play Dirty Lyle, though? I mean, Dirty Lyle would have to have a son like Jackie Gleason did in part two. Or yes. Jack- <laughs>
2: well, they right. maybe could have got uh, Biff Tannenbaum from Back to the Future. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but I, I think this is certainly, and I haven't seen, I actually haven't seen all of Peck and Paw's films. I haven't seen The Killer Elite and uh, uh, a couple others. We talked about them last night. Yes, which I haven't seen either. But I would say that this is definitely on the weaker side of Peck and Paul. But I will also say uh, to go on with a email we get that even though this is not this is one of his lesser efforts, it still has those Peck and Paul s moments that are that are definitely worth checking out. And for me, this film is really a true guilty pleasure. It's not a great film, I don't think, and by no stretch of the imagination, it's a it's a solid little B movie that uh, I think because of sam's condition behind the scenes you can see that there was a lot of mistakes made that's that's pretty much it i would love to see a three and a half hour cut of a trucker movie i'd imagine that somebody stoned out of their mind just shooting trucks going down a highway for for an hour probably (laughs) i would imagine that just a lot of uh stone trucker footage oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> with more music choices but yeah that's uh that's all the notes i really have I, I i do i've forgotten about james coburn being a second unit director until i watched the credits and i was like oh yeah there he is i remember that i remember the infamous story behind the film now so uh yeah interesting sam was gone by this point uh, he was on his uh downward spiral so uh, you could see that but again there's little moments of brilliance in here
2: yes absolutely
1: all right i'll kick it over to you for mbt's maker breaks Okay there's a
2: lot of like you said a lot of little things I liked about the film. I really liked the the camaraderie amongst the truckers, uh, specifically with Pigpen and Mike. Um I like just 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 seeing that culture because like I said it's so near and dear to my childhood to the point where when I smell diesel fuel it is very nostalgic for me because it reminds me of my childhood. I went on a lot of long haul trips with my dad and and trucking is so much ingrained in 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 my childhood as uh you know so it really holds uh a place in my heart. Um, right, right. but I have to go with the final standoff in the film. I think, oh, that mic almost dropped now. Uh, <laughs> nice. I do the glove save like, uh, Patrick. Wah. Um,
1: <laughs> and for, and for, uh, for, for, for our American listeners, that's a hockey reference.
2: <laughs> yes. That's a goalie. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> Fuck, speaking of names <laughs> I didn't think I'd hear in a Convoy review, Patrick Waugh.
1: Yeah, really. Uh, William uh, Cat and Patrick Waugh. Now that, there you go. Patrick Waugh can play the rubber duck and William Cat can play Dirty Lyleson. son.
2: Yes. <laughs> um, but the final standout to me is one of the few things that felt like a Peckinpah film. And like I said, that's my biggest complaint is that this could have been one of my all-time favorite films. It could have had that, that Garcia, Alfredo Garcia vibe where it's just this dusty kind of nasty film. And it didn't because it was too busy trying to be a Burt film. Um, my MVT. Uh, I was going to say James Coburn for getting the film completed, but uh, I just went with the. This is where I went with sort of the truckers and their lifestyle and and the whole the whole thing with the truckers. I really like that, and it, it's a sub. It's a small little uh, niche in the in the film world, but I, I enjoy those films. Um, my score for the film was a six out of ten. Like I said, I think it's a deeply fa- flawed film, especially. When you look at it in the, the sort of uh, scope of everything Peckinpah did, he's, he's one of the all-time greats, um, easily one of the all-time greats, one of the most influential filmmakers, uh, especially of filmmakers today. So uh, I just uh, you know, I think it could have been. It's, it's a case for me of what could have been what should have been.
1: Okay, I can see that. I'm going to go with uh, my MVT, or actually my Maker Break is going to be the use of slow-mo in the film. I really like, nobody does it quite like Peckinpah. Nobody does it better. Uh, he really, uh, he really does do it the best. Uh, uh, John Woo is basically just harp. I mean, I love John Woo. Yeah, I love him. I mean, I always will love him. But he really is just riffing on Peck and Paul. And even Scorsese has admitted that you know, whenever you do slow mo, you're doing Peck and Paul. You might think that oh, this is my use of slow mo is totally different. No, you're still doing Peck and okay. Uh You know, even the Matrix, for instance, they're still Peck and Paul. So. Even as overblown and technical and new as that is, it's still it's still peck and paw when it comes down to it. Yep. and that's just really the reality of it. I mean, he's responsible for that, and uh, he'll always hold a special place in my heart for that. So, I'm going to go with the, the slow mo for the maker breaks. All of it, even the uh, even the co- even the comedic bar fight is uh, interesting because it's done in slow mo and the yes. music and stuff. It's just odd because if you think about Burt films, they were always it seemed like they were kind of undercranked, like they were always kind of a little bit faster or something. Yeah, you know? yeah,
2: like, like an old time forties kind of. Yeah, and yeah. you always had
1: somebody laughing, and Terry Bradshaw getting punched in the mouth, or Dom DeLuise <laughs> running around, or something.
2: Someone ducking, and someone else getting punched. <laughs> always
1: a female sitting on the bar who hits somebody with a beer bottle when they come out yes. and then they laugh. You know, so or biting them on the shoulder or something. <laughs> yes, I've seen a lot of Burt movies, <laughs> but uh, that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, my MVT for the film is going to be the truck. Uh, the rubber duck truck itself I fucking love that truck That Mack truck Yeah it's nice It's it's so simple The black on And with the white detailing It's so simple But the, that left That uh, right headlight Is is busted out early in the film Yep And it just kind of brings this Kind of like one-eyed monster Whoa that didn't sound right Hang on <laughs> Ooh <laughs> There's actually I don't know if you've heard about this But there's actually a horror film out there Called The One-Eyed Monster That actually is Ron Jeremy Yeah it's actually they They did a mold of Ron Jeremy's penis <laughs> Wow And Charles Napier's in it. (laughs) Oh, fuck.
2: Talking about cashing a check. (laughs) Speaking of rubber dicks, he's seen a few in in his day between Super Vixens and that one.
1: (laughs) Anyway, back on point. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to go with the truck because I think the truck has a life of its own in the film. Uh, I could have easily went with uh, some of the act. I really like Borgnine in it and stuff and and some of the other stuff. But I'm going to go with the truck because I really love that truck, man. That uh, truck was iconic when I was a kid. I always wanted like a little Hot Wheel of it or something, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And my score for the film is going to be higher than yours, but remember, I'm giving this a whole full point more because of the nostalgia factor, and so I think we're pretty much dead on in agreement with this film because I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. So if you take the whole point off, it goes down to a 6. And uh, so I think we're pretty much dead on agreement. I think the only thing is I just love this film because I saw it so much and I have this special place for it for some reason. Uh, the music and a lot of it's terrible, uh, but I, I really... I mean, I just thought Chris Christopherson was the coolest motherfucker on the face of the planet when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And it's really because of this film more than any other. I just thought, man, I want to be the fucking rubber duck (laughs) because he is the coolest motherfucker in the world. I mean, he is a character. If you ask me, Tarantino has been writing the rubber duck forever now. It's like it's almost like he's taken that character because he's just too cool for school. You know what I'm saying?
2: He certainly is.
1: And he's just a great character. And he's 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 interesting because he's he actually he's actually anti-violence. And, yeah, he
2: he's very there's a lot of humanity in him and kindness in him.
1: Yeah, he's like and, and everybody everybody loves him. It's like, you know, everywhere he goes, he's like he's the he's the he's the man. And I just love his character. You know, I just think he's he's just one of the great cinematic characters, the rubber duck, Martin Penwald. Martin. <laughs> so I I really I, I'm gonna go over the seven and again you gotta remember that's an extra point added on for nostalgia and stuff. It's not Peck and Paul's greatest film by any stretch of the imagination. It might not be his worst. We haven't seen them all, but it is a flawed film, to say the least. And Sam is definitely. Uh, <laughs> those lines of coke off Ally McGraw's nipples were not helping him any. <laughs> so, that, I believe, is our review for Convoy. We're going to take a break and come back and do some uh, spooku set by the door. All right, here we go. Welcome to a night of total terror.
2: <laughs> That's Mickey Mouse's penis. I know it's the terror. <laughs> Yeah. They don't look to be afraid, they look to be shocked. Here's
0: vagina!
2: It's yeah. to see Miley Cyrus' yeah. globulous breath. Night of the Living Podcast. I
1: found more syrup on my pants. This is
0: our adventure in fear. There was, however, a guy using... Yeah. An experience in shock, more shattering than your strangest nightmare
2: night of the living podcast
0: ass-to-mouth is fantastic yeah. holy shit that just happened what's that
2: bad man doing to my donkey
0: you a Krampus? night of total terror I can't maintain this level of ridiculousness <laughs> and I, they, they made a song, right? night
2: Of the Living Podcast. My
0: mom likes to show!
1: It's Bud the Spud from the bright red mud. Rolling down the highway, smiling. The spuds are big on the back of Bud's rig. They're from Prince
0: Edward Island. They're from Prince Edward Island.
1: Now from Charlottetown or from Summerside, they load him down for the big long ride. He jumps in the cab and he's off with the bright Zobagos. He's got to catch the boat to make Pine, and he hits up that old New Brunswick line. All right, so New we are back we from break here. We got, the of, the <laughs> <laughs> we got a little Bud the Spud going there. A load of potatoes. we got a little Bud the Spud going there.
2: That, my friend, is a Canadian
1: institution. Yes. Stomping Tom Connors. Nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. I love that song. All right. Uh, So we are going to get into our second film here, which is 1973's The Spook Who Sat by the Door. You chose this film, so I'll go ahead and kick it over to you and get a plot synopsis and get going.
2: All right. So it says a black man uh, plays Uncle Tom in order to gain access to CIA training, then uses that knowledge to plot a new American Revolution. So yeah, I picked this film. Pretty accurate, uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess it is uh, in terms of philosophy and using the term "ultramonthal." I guess it's yeah, that works pretty well. So I picked this film, and I'm very interested to see what you think about it because neither one of us had seen it prior to this. And uh, let's uh, let's get her going here.
1: All right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's true. Neither one of us has seen this, and I don't know what I expected, but this film threw me for a loop because it was nothing like what I expected. I wish I could say I knew <laughs> what I expected to watch when I watched this film but uh, uh I had no idea. So, let's well, first let's go with the title, you know, The Spook Who Sat by the Door. Now this is actually a novel first uh, that was adapted into a film. Uh actually spook, you know, being a slang term for African American people, I should say. I'm going to go ahead and get that out of the way because I don't want to hear anybody say that we are racist on the show because we are not. We just, uh,
2: Absolutely not. And also, it's a double meaning because it's also a slang term for a spy.
1: Yes, yes. You actually hear that, uh... You hear the terms ghost or some other things when you do the CIA stuff. And so, you know, that's where spook comes from. But this just has a double on trunday type meaning. And, uh... And that there's a reasoning for that. It's a very political film. This actually... This is easily the most political film we've covered.
2: All by a country mile. Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. This is really political compared to the stuff we typically cover, so... Um, that's the one thing I want to get out there first and foremost. All right, so I'm watching the film. I'm into it. I'm, I'm moving my head a little bit. I'm bobbing. I'm weaving. You know, I'm doing a little dancing. And then I realized Herbie Hancock did the score, and I don't know why I'm bobbing, weaving, jumping around a little bit. <laughs> it's Herbie. Herbie's, yeah. Herbie's bringing the magic, man. He's bringing it.
2: <laughs> Herbie is a very, very talented musician. And I think the score, like you said, it's good, it's unobtrusive. There's no signature yes, yes. song, but I think that's very clearly a conscious decision because it's not that kind of black exploitation film.
1: I agree. I agree. It's, uh, it's a very nice, subtle score from Mr. Hancock, and it's very, it's very good, though. I mean, it's really uh, – the music works perfectly for the film, and it's very well scored and stuff. Um, now, when I say this is a political film, what I'm basically saying is it's a political film about race. Uh, there's some scenes in this film uh, where we have characters, the older white gentleman, let's just say – who say things such as, uh, you guys are the best of your race, which nowadays would be considered, uh, racist to say that, but then probably not so much. But, you know, watching it as a 35, six, well, I tried to say I was 35, but I'm not. 36 <laughs> year old male, uh, now, that, that, that was the first line I was like, ooh, you know? And then the next line was uh, that really made me kind of grind my teeth was, well, they do make good athletes. <laughs>
2: Well, that and just the, the use of the word Negro and colored is very much a sign of the times. And it, the interesting thing about this film is this is sort of that second tier of racism when there was there was enough of an outcry from the general um, public that racism wasn't as overt as it once was. This is right. when affirmative action started taking place and equal rights. It was right in the, at the height of, of the... Uh, the movement, uh, the gay rights movement, women's liberation, um, mm-hmm. of course, uh, you know, the, the rights in terms of African-Americans. Uh, so, I mean, it's you get that second wave of racism where behind closed doors you get the racism. Right.
1: And, you know, I'm sitting there watching it and I'm listening to these lines of dialogue and I'm laughing. And the reason why I'm laughing isn't because I think, oh, yeah, yeah, it's funny. You know, the, the white man's getting them and stuff. The reason why I'm laughing is I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I sometimes forget, and my I can be naive sometimes, even as many bad films or as rough films or as great films as I've seen, as I've seen I sometimes forget that at one point in time, films were, the films like Black exploitation films is a great example because you really see the kind of the line that was drawn between race and the 70s. Now, I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, so the racism was still there. But I also grew up during a great time, in my opinion, when, uh, you know, uh, African-American musicians, we just talked about Michael Jackson in the intro, people like that were very influential, rap was becoming big and everything else, so I'm thankful that I never saw uh, a color, I'm thankful for that, because oh, I worry about that, You know, I, I don't worry about like for my kids, because I think it'll be even more diverse by then, but I, I, I think about that sometimes, that if I was born 10 years before, I would probably be a little bit more of a different person, maybe, and uh, I'm thankful that I was born when I was born, that I was raised the way I was raised. Uh, to not see that kind of thing, and to appreciate all cultures, and uh, you know, film has something to do with that, uh, because I watched a lot of black exploitation films, a lot of Jim Brown movies. You know, I was watching those when I was a little kid, so uh, I'm really, I'm really very thankful for that. And uh, this film is more of a serious statement. This isn't your typical. I think this is roped into black exploitation, but I don't know if that's. Do you really consider this a black exploitation film?
2: No, I don't at all. Yeah. It's, it, I, I, I mean. It, it's sort of an interesting kind of thing. I, I don't know that it is. I think it, like I said, it very it's a very serious-minded film. Um, it's based on a novel. We should have said that by Sam Greenlee, the novel yeah. of the same name. And further to your point, Sammy, about the title, it also refers to a, sort of a trick that happened early on in Affirmative Action where a lot of these companies would sit sort of the lone black they hired close to the door yes. to show that they were a, a mixed or an integrated office. Right, right. So yeah, I, I they don't they know. even, they even it,
1: comment that on that in the film that we can put him in reception, so that way people yeah. will see that we're integrated. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Which is clearly a, a, a nod to the title, which was a nod to the practice. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a very serious. This is almost like uh, the Malcolm X. If it is a black exploitation film, it's the Malcolm X of black exploitation films. Early Malcolm X.
1: Well, I wanted to ask you that because I'm going to say that I don't think this is a black exploitation film at all. I think this is uh, a film and probably an overlooked film, actually, uh, from the 70s that people probably should have uh, looked at a little bit more closely. Uh, The problem is it
2: was so inflammatory to mm -hmm. a lot of people were scared of it because of how political it was. Um, And you have to understand, this is a time where we often uh, celebrate the 70s as being a time of ballsy filmmaking and ballsy studios. But this film was out for three weeks, played great, did great numbers, and then uh, I think it was United Artists dropped it because they, they thought that this was going to compel the the african americans in the inner cities to uh rise up and and start a revolution that's how worried they were about this so it got yanked and it, i don't even think it ever was on vhs uh uh and then it finally came on a dvd in 2004 but no you're right it's it's more of just a, a straight film than it is necessarily a black exploitation film
1: yeah yeah it's it's uh it's an interesting film to say the least i think that uh, it, the, when you talk about movies like this, of course, you know, you run the risk of, you know, we're talking about an inflammatory film. So we know that we might get some feedback from some of you that might not be. Uh, I don't think you, I don't think we're going to go out of context. I don't think we're going to say anything. that's going to be bad. Don't get me wrong. But I just want to say that, you know, we know that it's an inflammatory film. We know what it's aimed to do. We We understand all of that and stuff. And I think it does what it's supposed to do. Right. I don't understand. I mean, I understand in retrospect, the sort of ignorance of a studio to drop it because they're afraid that the younger uh, African-American males in the inner cities will rise up and things. Uh, this has a quote unquote been a worry of the white man for years. Uh, of course, it's always been ridiculous as, as most of these things when it comes to race are, they're always just very ridiculous and very simple fears and stupidity really more than anything. Ignorance. Yeah. And that's all they really are. I love that this film, I love that the character of Freeman who is the uh, the standout character, Dan Freeman, he is uh, basically using this training to kind of raise, you know, a guerrilla kind of group to, to be in the cities. Uh, he actually says in the film, I think, uh, what we got now is a colony and what we want is a new nation. Yes. Which is a great line because uh, we would eventually get a new nation. We have a new nation now, especially in America. We have, you know, an African-American president. Uh, we have... Uh, you know, we have a more open mind. And, I, I you know, I know that there's still a little sex out there that like to believe that, you know, things are this way, blah, blah, blah. But the way I see it is this film was kind of a progenitor for what was going to become in our life. You know, and unfortunately, when it comes to change and things, there's going to be violence involved because change in society and stuff always has violence attached to it. There's no way around it.
2: Well, that that's something that Freeman says because someone had said something like uh, "honky this or that," and he or he said something about the white man, and then he said Freeman says to him, and he makes it very clear: "Listen, I do not hate white people." He said, "But I am willing to die for my freedom," right. and I think it's important that we understand that this. Now, he's in a situation where a lot of white people have shit on him, but um, he's this isn't about hating a race. This is about standing up for what for his basic rights as a human being and, and getting his fair shake in society. This is not about hating any one race.
1: Yeah. And this is a, this is a film that after you watch it, you feel like you've watched a smart movie. You know how you watch some films and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, ha, ha. You know, That was like we talked about, you know, some films are just bubble gum. You know, you like to chew them up, spit them out. They are what they are, but you had a lot of fun with them for an hour and a half, two hours, right? Mm-hmm. This is a film that you'll chew on. If you watch it, you'll chew on it for a while because, uh, Even though some of the issues that are brought up are not really as big an issue nowadays, you can kind of see where the mindset of Ivan Dixon and the filmmakers was at at, at this point in time, and I find it very interesting. And uh, it was it was completely it really uh, it was a very slow paced film, but I think that works to its benefit. I think they tried to sell it as an action packed film a little bit, and I think that was a mistake because I was expecting a little bit more. There's one major riot scene. There's a couple other training sequences and some some heists and things. And I'm not giving anything away with plot and stuff because you kind of got to see it to know. But, uh, yeah, it's not really an action film. This is a thinking man's film. This is a film that you sit back and go, wow, you know, America was really like that at one point in time.
2: Yeah, and I always, like you said, I meant to touch on this, Sammy. I always find it so shocking and appalling um, because, like you said, we grew up in a little bit of a different time. and I, You know, it's just, I, I can't believe, I just cringe when I hear things like, he checked into a colored hotel. He spent his weekends in the ghetto. It just,
1: yeah, I, know.
2: I you know, hey, listen, I'm not going to say I'm not aware of racism. Of course I am. But I think, you know, the basic denying of, of just basic, basic human rights and f- water fountains and, and shit like this. I just I can't believe we were ever there as a as a as a as human beings.
1: Yeah, I know. It's amazing when you look back on it and stuff. It really is. I mean, it's, I can't believe that the world was ever this way. And, uh, you know, for people that are even younger than us, it would be, you know, I mean, it'd it almost be, at this point, it would almost be cartoonish to think of the world like that. You know what I'm saying?
2: It would be cartoonish because it's very much the bad guys and, you know, you're absolutely
1: right. It would be so, like, for us, we can we can remember tinges of it, you know, little bits here and there and stuff. Of course, I never grew up during segregation or anything, but, and there was no, you know, designated uh, this and blah, 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 but... I did see, you know, the back end of some of that stuff and the way some people were treated and whatnot, and uh, it's it's a shame. It's a real shame that it ever got to that point, point. and I'm really I'm really glad that it's not like that anymore because it never made any sense. It just doesn't make any sense when you think about it. Racism just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It does. It it, you can't even justify it.
2: No, I think that the the basic thing, regardless of your religion or anything else. And this is a simple thing, and uh, you know, this is how I feel: is that really the only med- The only way you can judge someone is by the content of who they are, and that's exactly. it.
1: Exactly. Nothing exactly.
2: else matters. It's what kind of person they are. Is the only thing you can judge them on.
1: Now we get some scenes where Freeman's working and he's doing some things, and uh, there's a scene in the basement. This is actually the one scene I thought was funny. Let's see if you thought the same way. Uh-huh. There's a scene in the basement where the white the white chick comes up to him, talks to him. Now this chick yeah. looked kind of mannish to me, but then she's walking. Dude, that chick walks like a dude. <laughs> yeah, like like she's got the George Eastman fourteen incher. Yeah. She's got the rubber dick. There's, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that that was a mannish chick. I mean, she was terrible, and I was like, oh god, Freeman, don't get attracted to this girl, man. She is ugh. There's something about her turned me off completely. It was a walk. The way she walked, the way she talked. I don't know. She's a very amateur actor, obviously, but it was it was pretty rough to say the least. And
2: I didn't think she was too mannish. I don't know, but um, I I don't really. I didn't really feel one way or the other, but I didn't think it was comedic because she goes down to him and she goes, Oh, Freeman, what are you doing in the third sub-basement? Yeah. It's almost like <laughs> office space when they move him into like the boiler room. Yes.
1: It's like they keep <laughs> moving him further and further down. Yeah. Uh, we get some good training sequences and stuff, some stuff I like. I like the uh, the training sequences are fine with the, the guns and, and, and uh, the fighting and the judo and whatnot. But what I really liked was the scenes where Freeman is educating them. About things, I really thought those were well done. Uh, they were, yeah. Where he's like the teacher, as opposed to just the uh, you know the trainer or the mentor. He's he's actually teaching them about what he's learned, the things well, he sees.
2: The great thing, the great, great, great thing about those scenes is their payoff scenes because we see him going through the training of the CIA and and we see that he's uh, you know all sorts of tests, guns, and scuba diving, and and and. Uh, bomb detonation, parachuting, uh, diffusing stuff. Um, and we see him learning it, and then the script gets flipped, and we see, like you said, him teaching it in this sort of uh, urban warfare type setting, and those were great scenes that, you're right, did pay off really well.
1: Right, yeah, I mean, and if you guys do watch this film, be aware that you know there are a lot of lines of dialogue. There is overt racism, and then there is subtle stuff, and the subtle stuff was even more disturbing than the overt stuff. Uh, stuff like they were talking about Freeman, how he went to college and, you know, how he went on an athletic scholarship. And I think one of the characters is like, Oh, imagine that, you know, yeah. stuff like that. This little subtle things, the type of racism that people would like to say that they're not racist, but I, you still do hear those kind of comments every now and then from people and you're like, "Well, wait a minute, man. What's, what's, what's the deal? You know, it's just a person. A person's a person doesn't make any difference. And, uh, but you do hear those little moments. So I think that Ivan Dixon was very smart to put that little sub sub subtle, uh, Uh, racism in there because that is real racism the real racism isn't the the overt things that people say sometimes the confrontational things it's the way we treat people without ever even saying a word to them it's the way we do things without ever addressing the fact that's where the real racism comes from this is the evolution of racism yes yes so uh, yeah i'm really glad we watched this film this is easily one of the most serious films we've done on this show and uh it was very interesting. It was an eye opener and uh it really kind of enraptured me it's I'm gonna warn people to watch it and stuff it's it's a little slow paced uh it's it's a th- like i say it's a thinking man's movie. I think you would agree with that yeah a very and, very serious minded film and uh it's it does have some flaws. The riot scene is 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 good and disturbing but uh, Ivan Dixon decided to use the same soundtrack for the whole riot, so it goes on for like five minutes, and you keep hearing the same screen. It sounds like a sampling from a Prodigy song after a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? I thought,
2: yeah, <laughs> you get that in films. We've had that a few times where they loop the uh, the sound effects to the point where you you catch it two or three times, and it becomes comedic.
1: Yeah, and it just it started getting on my nerves. It really did. And uh, the scene is shot well shot, but they could have at least you know done something else with the soundtrack to it, but. Uh, yeah it's really good and the film it it, it has an interesting ending like a, a wide opening i'm not gonna give it away but it's like wide open and that that was actually a genius move because it's a wide open film that maybe maybe it sticks it's sticks comment on change maybe things are getting ready to change maybe life is changing maybe america's changing the, the society's changing and whatnot so i thought it was very good to kind of end it the way it ended it and and do what they did. So uh, this is actually, uh, I guess this would be uh, proof that Ivan Dixon was a pretty good filmmaker before he pretty much ended up in the world of TV. You know, this is two films he's done, and both of them I like. I mean, Trouble Man's a lot more faster-paced, action-typical exploitation film. Uh, smart exploitation film, but still a black exploitation film nonetheless. And this is more, uh, you know, this is more, I think, the film that Dixon wanted to make. And uh, he accomplished what I think he set out to accomplish with it. Absolutely. All right, I'll kick it over to you. One more thing. Was this film shot in Italy? Because I saw some J&B whiskey on the table. Oh,
2: you just stole the first note I was going to (laughs) mention.
1: It's gotten to the point where I'm always looking for J&B whenever we're uh, looking at a bar. (laughs) Well,
2: there's mention of a lot of stuff, Cavassier and other things. But we saw that yellow J&B bottle on the table. (laughs) Yes. Uh, (laughs) Now, I want to talk about Freeman for a moment. Um, I really wasn't sure about him in terms of the actor that played him early on based on his looks because to me he looked almost like a nerdy don cornelius
1: yes yes that actor i'm trying to think what else he's been in
2: not much i looked and he really hasn't done much he's done a few small things um he hasn't done much though i know he did posse which you and i were talking about last night
1: Uh, he's mostly he's mostly a character actor and I think I've seen him in most... Yeah, I'm looking through his filmography now. It's like a lot of TV, so I bet I've seen him from stuff like that. He was in Trouble Man,
2: his buddy, but I don't remember who that was.
1: I don't remember that either.
2: He was in a movie called Lord Shongo, which is, is more of a black exploitation film.
1: No, he's in Cotton Comes to Harlem.
2: So. Yes, he was. He, but he played first young black man, which clearly wasn't <laughs> one of the lead roles. <laughs>
1: Uh, it seems like I remember him in something else. I don't know. Maybe uh, I thought so, too. Maybe uh, well, The Rockford Files. I watched a lot of that growing up. So maybe I saw him in that. Oh, he was in Colors.
2: Which I didn't realize this until last night when I was looking at his uh, filmography. You know, Dennis Hopper directed that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yeah,
2: I did not know that. Yep. I like Colors a lot, actually. I think it'd be interesting to do. It's got a really good cast.
1: It does have a good cast. Yes, it does. I'm looking through that cast right now. There's actually a character, an actor named Fred Asparagus. Nice. <laughs> and, and and as always with IMDb, the great thing about IMDb is you go in looking at one ca- actor and you come out looking at somebody named Fred Asparagus.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wonder if he was uh, if he's uh, well he uh, was married.
1: in a f- he was in a film called uh, Slappy and the Stinkers. So sounds. Oh wait, like he, high he, art. he was in Surf too. Nice with Eddie Deason and friends. Whoa, he's an electric boogaloo.
2: Very nice. We got to look up, see the asparagus.
1: I got to check out asparagus.
2: (laughs) It's almost like he's had Barbara Broccoli guiding his career.
1: He's a Beverly Hills Cop 3. He was in, uh, This is Spinal Tap. What the fuck?
2: Who is this mysterious (laughs) and elusive? Asparagus is dead, though.
1: Yeah, he didn't live very long. Wow, 51. He must have been a big dude because a lot of his characters in Night Patrol, he's known as Fat Mexican. And, uh,. (laughs) In Surf 2, he's known as Fat Boy No. 1. No way. So he must have been a big dude.
2: I'm going to do a quick Google image search while we're talking about it. But no, getting back to Freeman for a moment. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't know how we got from Freeman on to Fred Asparagus.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, <laughs> I just didn't think he was going to be able to pull it off until you get the scene with the other remaining candidates when they start calling uh, Freeman and Uncle Tom. And it's at this point we see a cool, calm man who's very capable of handling himself um if called for yes this is the scene that i believed at this point and bought into him because he's a fucking knockout in this film
1: yeah he he uh what he is is he's an educated man who who sees things before he acts on them is that the best way i can put it yes he is a cool common collected yes yes and he tries to kind of put that into the perspective of the guys he's training that you got to remain cool, that you got to think of things before you do them. And even though the things he's trained them to do aren't exactly legal or, you know, the things you would actually teach people, you can see that he's trying to teach these guys about uh, pride and about personal worth and things like that. And uh, before you just act on things, because when you're young, you tend to act without thinking. I mean, I know I did, and I'm sure you did too. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's just what young men, especially and females but mostly men because i can relate to that that's just what we do we you know we get in fights and it's like why the hell we do that that was stupid and things like that and and i think that uh that's the uh that's the freeman's character he's trying to teach these kids how not to to be that person because that's what that's what the man wants you know blah blah blah
2: Mm Hmm. no you're right um one thing that sort of surprised me about the film, and maybe it was done just to humanize him, but I think it was really out of line with his character. Is, and I think it was done certainly as a plot, a convenient plot point to, to you know for the film. But I'm surprised that they had him go to a prostitute, especially considering he has a girlfriend.
1: Well, that, that's the thing. His character, his character is flawed because. As upright and righteous as he might seem, there's a scene with him with a prostitute where he goes into a dialogue about a queen, the Dahomey of Queen or whatever, the Dahomey Queen or whatever. And that actress, I don't know her name off the top of my head, but she's been in a lot of stuff.
2: Well, she was tr- she was Trouble Man's girlfriend. She yes. was T's Girl. Yeah,
1: yeah. So she's been in a lot of stuff, but a lot of TV as well. But uh, he goes to a prostitute. He's got a girlfriend, sweet girl, by the way, in the film at least. That's what we know. Uh, Then his buddy comes over, the cop that he grew up with, and then she leaves, and they talk about going to see another couple girls he's got lined up. So obviously the trouble... Not not the trouble, man. Obviously uh, Freeman has got a little bit of a loose cannon somewhere.
2: (laughs) Yes, he does, but I was a little bit surprised by that. I mean, maybe it was an attempt to humanize the character, but ensure that he was flawed despite his noble intentions. I guess that's what it was, but I was a little bit surprised by that, I guess. um,
1: It almost plays into the racism a little bit. I think it might have... I'm going to agree with you. I think that maybe he was trying to do something to humanize the character, but I actually think it's a mistake to play that, to do that. As and do I. I don't understand why they did that because you got a character who's supposed to be righteous <clears throat> and, and changing things. And it's not to say that you know Malcolm X didn't have his demons. That this King, so, yeah, whoever. Th- everybody I has their demons me. and stuff. But I think they, for the statement they were trying to make with this film, I don't think that. I think that played more into the statement they were trying to go against than it did for you know absolutely that's what i think so i think that might have been an error on mr dixon's part
2: i agree um i do want to say that apparently this actress uh, because he goes to see her and stuff she hadn't been in the host role long because she asks for the money afterwards and i think that's got to be rule number one you (laughs) get paid up front (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i don't know where uh, that's what i
1: do on the weekends (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) she like i said the host role was new to her still i guess um I really like. There's a nice shot early on of you get. There's about sixty or seventy um, African American men in the training or in sort of an instruction uh, class with a bunch of chairs or in a gymnasium, uh, and then I love it that when the dust settles, it's only Freeman left, and you get the shot of the gym with all the empty chairs, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really nice.
1: That was that. Uh, I like that too. It kind of shows that you know he's the one that made it.
2: Yes. Yes. Exactly.
1: I mean, it, yeah. ma- it makes no sense. Uh, actually, when you think about the reality of it, but as far as a storytelling device, it works.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I thought his girlfriend in the film was a fox.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, yeah.
2: She looked more like – she looked sort of like um, Tisha Campbell mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, a little bit. Um, maybe a little
1: bit more attractive than her.
2: I like Tisha though, but no, she yeah, maybe a little more attractive. Um, yeah. But I got to say, what's with
1: all the damn wigs in
2: this film? Because <laughs> – both girls, I was like, "Oh wow!" And then they, they, you know, a couple times they pull off a wig, and I thought, ee, because I'm not the biggest fan of short, short hair.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: threw me for a loop.
1: Yeah, that did throw me for a little bit of a loop too. I'll agree with that. She, she was a
2: foxy lady. Um, I got to say, as sort of a little throwaway remark. Ivan Dixon must have loved pool because in Trouble Man and this, there's there's a few scenes of characters
1: playing pool. Yes, I, I, I'm. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what else to. Compare that again. That's that all up I can, no, I can pun <laughs> yeah. I, <that's> <laughs> no pun intended. That's good, actually. No pun intended. I don't know what else to chalk that up to. Yes.
2: <laughs> uh, you had mentioned the riot scene. I think it was a great scene. It was very intense. It had this frenetic feel to it. You get some beatings, um, there's gunshots, there's screaming. There's fire, there's cars being blown up. It's shot in tight and the camera's kind of shaking, but this is early on before that convention became oversaturated. And I think it did a really good job conveying the the mayhem and the intensity of, of this riot scene and the frustration and the raw emotion of uh, a lot of the characters in the film.
1: Yeah, it was well done. Just uh, just a bad soundtrack choice, that's all.
2: Yes, and I think the great, great payoff to that is you get this wonderful shot at the end when, the, when again, when the dust has settled at the end of the riot, the shot from a chopper, and it's overlooking the streets, and you can see the streets are empty, but there's burning cars and there's military now on the streets. And I thought it was a wonderful shot.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, that's something I'm always fascinated by too. Anyway, is the the after effects right? You want to look at uh, you see a violent act and stuff. I mean, I've always kind of been a big fan of uh, crime photography. Not that I'm a fan of crime, but uh, you know uh, that kind of uh, Ouija inspired black and white mob shots, you know things like that. Uh, there's something almost artistic about looking at photos of a violent act uh i'm not saying that it's for everybody it's not and not nah, nowadays crime photography is very technical i'm talking about the black and white you know what i'm talking about right From oh of crime. course yeah and Absolutely. there's always something fascinating about the fact that a violent act had taken place and you're seeing the after effects of it there's always something fascinating about that as far as a storytelling device
2: yeah there really is because then it just further drives home the destruction and everything that they were immersed in at the time right right um right on the heels of that we get a a, one of a few wonderful scenes with dawson who played uh the old friend of freeman he's a cop he sort of get the the yin and yang or just sort of a different philosophies and you get a great scene where um freeman who's does everything under the guise of being a social worker uh he talks to Uh, Dawson, the police officer, and he just basically says to him, you know, about the riots, you're here to protect property, not lives, and it's a great scene with them kind of going back and forth on their philosophies about what's happening, and I'm glad that they didn't paint uh, Dawson as just this very one-dimensional character. He understands things, and he's trying to um, you know what, I'm going to say this, and I I hope I'm not reaching, or this this sounds clunky, but at times it almost felt to me like he was more moderate. He was the more Martin Luther King, um, trying to just basically, um, he was a little bit more about peace and everything else. Uh, whereas, um, Freeman was a little bit more militant, more like the Malcolm X character in the film.
1: No, I think it's a pretty good description.
2: I, I think know. that's, that's the way I found it. Cause there's a few really great scenes with them kind of debating back and forth on things. Um, and right on the heels of that is you get, what I think is the best shot of the film. And and there's a few really good shots where it pulls out of the car. And then again, because you kind of forget for a moment because it's in the car, it's quiet. All it is, is them talking. It pulls out of the car right beside them. There's soldiers everywhere. There's cars overturned again, the fire. And it took you out of that for a moment. And you just see that they were right in the thick of this, uh, this war zone. Right. Right. It was just a really great moment. Um, we get a great scene with a voiceover with Freeman on the radio as the mayor's office burns, and they sort of get the wheels in motion in terms of uh their plan. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good little moment. Um, one of the few criticisms there's a scene when a, one of the uh military who's brought in they feed him acid and they put him on a bike in blackface, and I thought that was a little bit silly with him on this this bicycle and acting kind of goofy. It, it was kind of a silly
1: that was a really statement. that was a really bizarre sequence. It was uh offensive strange and grim because the payoff of the scene was very serious i i don't know i don't that whole section is bizarre to me it is a bizarre section it really goes from offensive to comedic to downright uh this awful in like less than five minutes it's really I, you know sometimes that works if you got a really good director and i'm not saying ivan dixon is not a really good director he's a very competent director but i don't i don't know that uh, that sequence bothered me for some reason. I just didn't yeah. really care for it. no, I agree I agree, very uh, fucking weird man <laughs> yeah I'm sitting there me? laughing about it because I'm thinking about it again now, and I'm like, what the fuck was going on there that yeah, was, was that not- that is definitely the what the fuck moment
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, there's a great small moment where the suits uh, the higher ups start talking about this uprising and how. Um, They start giving statistics about the number of blacks holding blue-collar jobs, and 90% of the garbage collectors are African-American. 60% of them are hospital workers, are African-American. And I like that they did that. Again, I like that statement that, you know, just about them doing a lot of the the sort of, quote-unquote, blue-collar jobs and and so forth. Uh, I just, again, I really like that it was a serious film that had things to say.
1: Well, I think that statement was basically to say that, oh, yeah, you think you're free, but they've just put us in paid positions of what we were doing before.
2: Well, I think uh, I think there was that, but I also think you know, the, the other side, you know, I lost my train of thought when I was going to follow off of what you just said about that. Um,
1: <laughs> That's okay. Wow. I lose my train of thought all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll move on from that moment. Um, <laughs> there was a preposterous, convenient twist with a character. Uh, that, that uh, yeah. Sort of, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think I that was another thing that bothered me. I think there was no need for it. It didn't even need to be there. That's mm-hmm. just sort of this pipeline. It, just, it really bothered me. I thought it was went against everything that they'd sort of built up. I didn't like that. Um, I did think the pacing in the back third could have been ratcheted up a little bit better. It was good stuff. I just think near the end it almost felt anticlimactic. Yeah, that's um,
1: yeah, a good point. Uh, anticlimactic would be the exact words I would use. It really it really kind of builds in the middle, and then it, like it, it just about peaks, and then it just really fades quick. Yeah,
2: it's almost like it's reached that boiling point where it's about to boil over, and it doesn't quite boil over, and then it just simmers right down again almost. And just yeah. starts to bubble a little bit, but that's as far as it goes. And I think if they had have pasted a touch better, and maybe maybe even if that means cutting five to eight minutes out of it, because there's a few bizarre scenes with, with Pretty Willie or whatever his name is that I won't even get into. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> there are some uh, odd scenes, you're right.
2: Yeah, there are, but... Uh, yeah, just very bizarre. Um, I don't know why they didn't make his girlfriend his or his ex-girlfriend his wife. I don't understand that decision. I thought that was, again, a little bit odd, as his wife would have made better for some good philosophical differences in terms of debate or dialogue between him and his wife.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know.
2: I mean, just a very minor complaint. And, um, again, there's another scene at, right at the near the end with uh, Dawson and Freeman, uh, again, sort of going back and forth on what they believe that I thought was very, very good stuff. And
1: yeah. that's all my notes. Oh. All right, so I'm going to go over my make or break. Uh, my make or break of the film is the – I'm going to have to go with uh, – I'm trying to think. I had something else written down, but I'm, after we talked about the film, I'm starting to think that it might be something else. I, well, my MVT for the film is the message of the film. I think that that's the most important thing you take away from it. It's a deep film, and it's not – if you're settling in for a black exploitation film, you're better off renting Slaughter's Big rip off or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not that kind of movie. So uh, this is definitely a serious film. So if you're going to sit down and watch it, just sit down and remember that you're going to be watching a film that has a definite message. It's a flawed film in in some ways. Uh, I think I'm going I'm to say my make or break is the pacing because I think that's where it, it messes up a little bit. I'm not saying it broke the film, but it messes up a little bit in the pacing, I think. I think we just talked about that, that it kind of builds and builds and builds and then... It leaves you with 20 minutes of like, okay, well, okay, now, now I really need a payoff. And, and you, you just feel like you don't really get it in some ways. So uh, it kind of ends abruptly and whatnot. And I don't think it's that's nah, not giving anything away. Uh, so I, th- I think that's pretty much it. my score for the film is. Uh, I'm going to have to go with a seven, I think. I liked it. I think it's a very important film, but I'm going to have to say that uh, I don't like it as much as I like Trouble Man. <laughs> Oh no no! Uh, so it's it's important I think that people see it and stuff, and I think it's an overlooked little gem of the seventies that people probably just never paid attention to. Uh, so I think everybody should see it, uh, but uh, I think it's it is a flawed little film. So that's two films this week I've given a seven, seven and a seven. That's weird. So yeah, I think it's very important films so for people to definitely check it out if they're if they're into if they're into that. If you're not interested in that uh, in the message it gives, and if you're not interested in the film, I wouldn't blame you for not watching it. But it's It's definitely a very interesting piece.
2: Yeah, it's a very important film. I think, uh, like we said, especially in terms of the context of when it was made and where North America was at.
1: I think you get that sometimes with films that there's some films that are important. They're just not that entertaining to watch. Do you? I'm sure. I'm sure. Me and you have talked about that before. Yeah. No, for sure. There's some films you watch and you're like, ah, yeah, you know, it was. I understand. It was great, and and that's the way I feel about this film. It, It is a great film. It's flawed and whatnot, but it's a great overlooked film of the 70s, uh, underappreciated for sure, but it's certainly not the most entertaining film I've ever watched, let's put it that way.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, my make or break scenes are ones that I've already talked about, the scenes with Freeman and Dawson. Dawson, kind of back and forth, two fleshed out, well-rounded characters um, debating the, basically their philosophy on where they're at as a race, where they're going, what needs to be done, and so on and so forth. I really like those scenes two very interesting characters. Now, my MVT, as much as it should be, I guess, The Message, or even Dixon for that matter, I want to go with Lawrence Cook here because, oh, okay. like I said, I think with a lesser actor or a lesser performance, the film would have really fallen apart and I- The Message would have been lost.
1: Yeah, I think what you said in the beginning is a good reason why that would be your MVT is because when you first see him, you're really like, what the hell? It doesn't Just-
2: look like you're, He doesn't look like you're your Jim Brown. or your. He doesn't have these matinee looks
1: this is the character i gotta get behind that's what you think at first you know You're mm-hmm. like uh, i don't know but by the end of the film you really appreciate his uh his character and the acting uh from uh orange cook
2: oh yeah cool calm and collected it's again Dixon gets this great performance from an almost unknown or a tv actor much like he did with robert hooks as as the titular trouble man yes um and again, it's just a shame he wasn't used enough, Lawrence Cook or Robert Hooks for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, my score for the film is, is definitely higher than yours. I'm want to i going to give it an 8.25 out of 10. Okay. Um, now, that's partially because it is an important film. Uh, but I also think for a lot of – there's a lot of good technical – if you just strip away the message, I think there's still a lot of good things to be had from the film. There's a couple of good performances at least. There's some other decent performances. There's some great shots in the film. There's a good soundtrack. Um, like I've, we've said before, Dixon's a very, very competent filmmaker, um, and I think once you add all that up with the message of the film, uh, to me it's an 8.25. Like I said, I think it would have really knocked itself out of the park if the tension had of ratcheted up to this real boil over instead of being at sort of an climax a little bit, but uh, nonetheless, I think it's a great film that, like you'd said, I think it's very important that if you're not interested in a political or serious-minded film uh, that you know, uh, I don't want to say exploitation, but if you're not interested in that, don't watch this film because it is not for you. But if you are, then this is a good film, a very good film for you to, to seek out.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing I want to get out there. The one thing I want to get out there is this is not a black exploitation film. I don't think it is at all. I think it's been marketed as such and it's kind of got a reputation as such. But this is actually a very serious film from the 70s. And if you're in the mood for a really solid 70s film, you can't go wrong. Uh, but if you're in the mood for a black exploitation film, you need to steer clear of this because this is not the stereotypical black exploitation film. No, uh, this is not definitely not that. You'd be better off watching Trouble Man, which is a black exploitation film and actually a very good one that people need to watch.
2: It is one that needs to be seen by everyone who says they're a fan of the genre. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So really, oh, so you got Avon Dixon doing back-to-back films that really are both supposed to be black exploitation, but one of them is actually a very serious '70s film. I mean, right up there with. Some of my Ashby stuff and everything else. I mean, I know my score seems kind of low, but it's it's just because of the entertainment value of the film. I just didn't feel like it was there. But I think this is a very important piece, and I'm glad it's out there on DVD for people to check out now. I do, and I think,
2: like you would said, I think one of the most important things with watching a film sometimes is when films are mismarketed, and we have a, a. It's almost like okay, do you know when you go to drink something, and let's say you didn't know it was Sprite, you thought you were getting water, and it it's it's a very bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Moment for you because it's not that Sprite's bad; it's just that you weren't expecting Sprite.
1: Exactly. It's, you have expectations, and when you don't, when your expectations aren't met, you uh, you can sometimes sour on something. So, yes. Yeah. And this film was definitely marketed as a black exploitation film from the trailers and what I saw and things, and what I knew of its history. So this is actually the first time I've watched it. So I'm glad I saw it and saw that uh, you know there was important films being made by African American directors in this country before that was popular.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Maybe a uh, early kind of influence from Mister Spike Lee or somebody like that.
2: <laughs> oh, very much so. It I think has so. To
1: be. And you're right about the dialogue scenes. You said one of your uh, your make or break was one of the dialogue scenes. The dialogue scenes in this film are actually really good. Yeah,
2: they were. They were really well written, really well acted.
1: They're very dense, though. You have to really pay attention. They're dense, but and they carry a weight. I think that's the thing you can't help but take
2: away. Is they're executed well, but they carry a real world weight to them.
1: Yes, they're very realistic conversations, and uh, they're very good actually meant to mention that scene where they're playing the "quote unquote uh, they're playing up the "quote unquote slave films that are on TV. I like that scene. Those two actors and they're kind of mocking it and it's very good because it makes you realize that you know that's right. We have made um, white people have made films like that and that's the way we've uh, you know portrayed these characters. And these people aren't like that. They're just like us. They're just as smart, just as good and just as important as anybody else because we're people. We're not we're not black we're not white we're not brown we're not green we're just fucking people so i like that in that little moment actually you know what? i'm gonna go back and make that my make or break because in that little moment you get kind of everything you get the the commentary on how white people have seen black people and you get the the showing that uh, freeman is saying look you know we're people first and foremost we are not those cartoon cutouts that people Uh portray us to be so that's a very important scene i think i'll go with that
2: Which may have even been a commentary on some of the the stuff in the genre, the blaxploitation genre and the film genre as a whole and TV as a whole.
1: Yeah, I don't have any doubt that some of the blaxploitation quote-unquote directors were making commentaries on the fact that they were making these films sometimes when they made them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because some of them are terribly offensive, as we know. Well, they are. So... All right, so that is our review of The Spook who sat by the door. We definitely, I definitely, even though my score is not that high, I definitely think people should check it out, and I think you feel the same way. So, Absolutely. It is available on Netflix for those in America, and I think, is it available on Zip?
2: Yes, it certainly is. That's where I got it. Nice. And so, it's available on Amazon.
1: Yes, so definitely check it out. Very important film. All right, so we're going to take a break, and we'll come back with some feedback
2: popsyndicate.com your one stop for all your unhealthy obsessions breaking news and in-depth reviews on all of your favorite movies, music TV shows, podcasts comics, books, popsyndicate.com
1: To no feedback Alrighty, so here we are with some feedback for this week's show. Uh, got a few emails and uh, a few voicemails. So, hang on, let me make sure the voicemail will come, come in. in. Oh, there it is. Hey, how about that? Surprise! <laughs> Always does that. We'll get back to you in just a minute, Valencia. I promise. <laughs> All right, uh, let's knock a few emails out. Let's see what we got going.
2: Okay, the first one is from our good friend King Mob. Uh, the title, which is a great title, is Glistening Italian Action. Willie and Sammy, listening to the latest show as I type, don't especially have anything to add to your thoughts on the films, unless it's just to mention that I also rated The Black Belly of the Tarantula a 7 out of 10 myself when I watched it a year or so ago I wanted to send you guys a link to a defunct blog I ran across called Tough to Kill, if only because their header is a hands-of-steel image that made me think of you guys. The final post on their site is a link to the site owner's Lulu published book on the subject of European action flicks called Tough to Kill Volume 1 the Italian Action Explosion, which I thought might be of interest to you, fellas, if you don't already own a much-thumbed, dog-eared copy of your very own. Keep it gentlemanly, King Mob and his blogs, of course, are dearbastards.blogspot.com or bigsuckloser.com.
1: Yeah, uh, we're familiar with that. <laughs> it's actually funny. Somebody posted on the boards, I believe it was Quint. Yes, it was. That posted on the boards that there was a, a website that was actually offering a free download, and Sammy Boy here took advantage of it and grabbed it immediately. As did Willie Boy. <laughs> nice. And uh, I have been reading through it and stuff, and it is very good. Uh, it appreciates that genre, which is kind of like a little subgenre within a genre there, that uh, kind of 80s, late 70s Italian action rip-off films. Which I don't think
2: we've, we've even touched on, but we will be with Strike Commando is... Well, actually, Bla- that's
1: where I heard from Blast Fighter. So, Blast Fighter was actually the first time we'd really touched on it.
2: Yeah, and we get that sort of, as they call it, uh, macaroni combat.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, the macaroni combat films. But there's a lot of stuff in there that even I haven't heard of, and I've heard of a lot of stuff that you know I haven't seen, obviously. But uh, there's some uh, Bo Svensson films in there I've never even fucking heard of. So I'm I'm in like Flynn. That's-
2: <laughs> as am i and and it's funny that's how i found out about hands of steel actually i think i told you that sammy was uh, i'd seen their header was this incredible image of a flexing man with a cyborg arm and uh i'd seen it at a yard sale i thought i've seen that before and i and i picked it up um so thanks to those guys and i would say i believe the book's available on amazon and go get it It uh, or put it on your christmas or birthday wish
1: list it's it's an, a fantastic book good stuff actually yeah uh, i've read quite a few of the reviews in there and they uh they take it seriously, you know. It's basically, that's that's what you want in a good film reviewer. You want, uh, even though the genre is ridiculous, you want them to take it seriously, and they do.
2: Yeah, and they rate it out of exploding
1: huts, I think. <laughs> yes, exploding huts. Because I think Blast Fighter got four, uh, I think it's out of five exploding, no. I think it's only out of four exploding huts, and I think Blast Fighter got three or a 3.5.
2: <laughs> yes. But uh, no, thanks for that, Bill, because if we hadn't seen that, we would have been... Over the moon right now,
1: and uh, yes. even still gives us a chance to mention it on the air. To be perverted, I would have been erect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, there would have been a lot of tents being pitched on both sides of the border. Um, okay, so the next one uh, is entitled Greetings. And it says Hi there, gentlemen. I thought it was time I should email in and say thank you for the great podcast. I've been into genre film for many years, thanks, to the, thanks mostly to the great work of Ant Thompson and the Incredibly Strange Film Festival. He runs in New Zealand. Check out uh, incrediblystrange.co.nz to see the great lineups from years past. I've been thinking about films I would be interested in hearing you cover in a show. And seeing as uh, one of my top five films of all time is The Monkey's Fantastic Head from 1968, how about two films based around bands or musicians? I know you don't ha- you have done a similarly themed show in the past, or I'm not quite sure what he means. I think we haven't really. but yeah. Oh, I, I know what he's getting at here. He says, done a similarly th- sh- themed show, but uh, this would be more up your alley than, say, Spice World. Here are a few suggestions. Uh, Head, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, or the European version, Kiss and Attack of the Phantoms, <laughs> Rock and Roll High School, This is Spinal Tap, Rock and Roll. Uh, if you don't check out the other films, do yourself a favor and check out Head. It's a fantastic film. Another idea I had was to cover Peter Jackson's first three films, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, and Braindead, uh, Dead Alive in the, uh, in the States. Being a Kiwi, I grew up with these films. I think they have a common theme and are interesting considering what PJ has done since. Lastly, I saw at a film festival in Sydney recently, Dead Snow, and was wondering if you'd seen it. I know that when I'd read Nazi Zombies, I had to see this film. It was a good laugh and a film that didn't take itself too seriously and had some good suspense and some nice score. But really, Nazi Zombies is all you need to know. Anyways... Thanks again for putting the show together and making work that little bit better each week. All the best, Liam.
1: Nice, thank you, uh, Liam. It's uh, a great name, there, buddy. I actually, me and my wife actually plan on naming. If we have a boy, we plan on naming him Liam. So, well, that's, you know what that's short for, don't you? Yes, that's short for uh, Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas, right? Yes, who punched <laughs> out Perez Hilton. Good for him. Yes, <laughs> he's got that boom, boom, pow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he certainly does.
1: First of all, let me say, those five films would make an interesting sh- I love Rock and Roll High School. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, I'm a huge Ramones fan, so and I absolutely love that film. It's actually directed by Alan Arkish with a lot of second-unit direction by the great, or at least I think he's great, Joe Dante. Uh, this is Spinal Taps, a classic. You can't really say much more about it. I mean, that hasn't already been said. Uh, Rock and Roll is actually an animated film that I've been meaning to see forever, and I've never got a chance to see. Yeah, I've never, I've never even heard of it to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's a rare film. It's a well, not a rare film, but it's a kind of under the radar film. But I've heard it's good. I just haven't seen it yet. Uh, the Monkey's Head is a very good film. It doesn't sound like it would be a good film. It's the monkeys and, and whatnot, but it is directed by Bob Raffleson, I believe, and Jack Nicholson wrote it. Uh, it's actually a lot better than you would think. And uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Just let me say. That goes down in history as one of the worst films of all time, and I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of those films, you know. I mean, we're always looking for trash, and that one is in the upper echelon of trash. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Kiss Me's The Family? of the Party? Yes, I have seen it. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I actually forgot about it. I wouldn't mind covering that at some point. That would, I mean, I don't know when, when we would cover it, but I would mind covering that at some point because it's... It's pretty fucking...
2: <laughs> I've, I'd forgotten all about it, to be honest, because I haven't seen it in many, many years.
1: Yeah, it's one of those films you watch, and you're like, well, I'm never going to watch that again. Yeah. And it's funny, we were actually talking about Peter Jackson the other night. Remember, we were talking on the phone about how Sam Raimi has his own style and and everything else, and you actually brought up that Peter Jackson's the only one that can even be compared to Sam Raimi, really, in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, I, yeah in terms of career choices and, and some stylistic stuff, certainly.
1: Yeah, they are very similar in some ways and stuff, and... I do like Meet the Feebles. It's bizarre. I, I do like bad taste, and uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Brain Dead. Are, are you a big fan?
2: No, I'm not. To be honest, I think it's um, – I've never seen Meet the Feebles, um, but uh, I don't like Dead Alive. I, actually, I turned it off. I just – I'd had enough. I, I've, as I've said before, I don't really like horror comedy. I think it's a tightrope walk that not many people can do. I think – for me, Return of Living Dead is, is probably the best example. But speaking of New Zealand, Black Sheep is a pretty good example, too. I think the thing is i got to be in the mood. It's got to catch me at yeah. the right time.
1: And I've heard Dead Snow is a little bit of a black comedy uh, horror film uh, in the vein of Jackson and Raimi. So uh, I've heard mixed reviews on it. I've heard some people like it and some people don't like it. So it, it must also be on that fine line we talked about. So I guess it'll just depend on – I'm definitely going to look at it. I mean I don't care if, if 50 people tell me a movie's terrible, I'm still going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If I want to. So, uh, yeah, well, thanks for the uh, email. That's the first time we've heard from him. Uh, so we really appreciate that, buddy. Yes, thank you. i have to check out the Strange Film Festival. Yeah, I'm going to take a look at that. I haven't had a chance
2: to yet. Um, Oh, the last one, it was actually a pleasant surprise. It was from our good friend Wilson on the boards. Mm-hmm. It says, no subject, parenthetically. Hi, gents. I do not normally contact the show in either email or voicemail. I'm more of a forum kind of person. However, when I heard this week you'll be covering Convoy by Peckinpah, I felt it necessary to get off my arse and send you an email. Convoy is fucking awesome. Sam Peckinpah is a top five all-time director for me, and though it may be considered a lesser Peckinpah film, when you're dealing with a master, it still means the film is far better than most other movies. Ernest Borgnine gives one of his great performances in Convoy. As I mentioned on your forum, I think Pat Barrett Pat Barrett, well, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid is is Bloody Sam's finest, and I'm hoping this is a film you will cover at some point in the future. If it's not on the list, if I ever win the listener content malarkey, you'll be getting hit with Pat Garrett and a film from my favorite working European director, Paolo Sorrentino, The Family Friend. His third movie is full of rape, which I expect puts it right up your street. Well, (laughs) you know what I mean. (laughs) Have either of you seen any Sorrentino films? Keep up the awesome podcasting, Wilson. And then he adds P.S., I would have voicemailed this in, but my accent is pretty thick. I, this is great. He goes, "I sound like a monotone version of Begbie from Train Spotting, and it's pretty fucking hard to subtitle a podcast."
1: <laughs> nice. So I guess he's uh, he's Scottish then, huh? Yes. Nice. Well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know Wilson was
2: Scottish. So no, he'd said. Remember, he'd said in his email about uh, growing up. Uh, Near where uh, the Wicker Man was. Oh,
1: playing. yes, yes, yes. That's right. That's right. He did. Uh, I didn't know he was that thick. I didn't know his voice was that thick, though. That, I mean, that's awesome. I, you know, that's great. I call in sometime. I'd I'd love to hear the uh, thick Scottish accent. Indeed. I like the Scottish brogue. Uh, <laughs> trying to do I'm trying to think of something to say in Scott. I guess I can say the same thing I said to Quint. Uh, hey, hey, Wilson. Yeah, buddy. Get stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, uh, I have not seen any Sorrentino films. Have you seen any?
2: I have not, but I I know that Il Divo right around the time that I'd seen uh, Gamora, Il Devo it was catching a lot of buzz. And um, based on the trailer alone, I think it looked fantastic. So um, I think the problem is a lot of his films aren't on Region 1. And I have a region-free player, but like I've said before, sometimes getting region-free discs can be costly, and, and I'm a man on a budget right now. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, hey, if, if he wins, I would be thrilled uh, to cover Pat Garrett and uh,
1: San Paolo Sorrentino. Yes, uh, you might have to mail us the Palo, but uh, we'd, we'd be more than happy to to cover it. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see some of that stuff. Uh, it is good to hear from you, buddy. I mean, we, we know you on the boards quite well and stuff, and he always puts the interesting post up. He puts those posts up on the boards that has me thinking and drives me crazy, because he'll put up, like, all oh, the top European film makers working today, and I'm like, oh, God.
2: <laughs> you want to come correct. You don't want to be an oaf and be like, uh, you well, know. I
1: have to sit there and actually think about it, you know, and... I like that. I like that in a post. I mean, you know, when I got to sit there and think about it and, and I'll be at work sometimes or somewhere like that and I'll be sitting there and just pounding my brain for these, uh, you know, answers to these. Because, you know, we with the reason why we don't do lists on the show, we've said before, is because to do that every week would just drive me crazy because you always feel like you're going to leave something out and you inevi- inevitably you always do.
2: Yeah, and, and the problem is that is supposed to be your definitive statement on X subject and right. – Unfortunately, yeah, like you said, you're gonna
1: omit something. But it's and great for forum posting because it gets conversation going. So he's really good at yeah. getting conversation going. So we appreciate it. Well,
2: I do want to thank Wilson because unlike this asshole in Canada, uh, he's really sort of at times thrown the forums on his back and, and tried to keep them lively. And I, I really appreciate that. And God, I, I tried to make some time this weekend, and I only got a few little short posts in. I haven't been able to contribute to his stuff, but I do read them, and believe me, I want to contribute to them. But uh, he gets some good
1: stuff going there at the forums. Yeah, yeah. speaking of uh, a new thread of the forums, everybody get over there. This will give you a reason to join, maybe. Uh, check out the author- a forum known as Tiger Tits. <laughs> oh, indeed. <laughs> issue number one is what the thread's titles. Uh, Demise, our good friend Demise out on the West Coast, and and her husband, I believe she wants me to make sure she gives her husband credit to have designed uh, a magazine a cover for a, uh, a fake magazine that I hope somebody picks up and runs with, actually, and publishes. <laughs> although, I although my wife to... would be disturbed if I started getting that in the mail. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, as would mine. I'd have some splaining <laughs> to do.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, Tiger Tits is basically Tiger Beat, but it's all uh, muscle-bound, uh... Gentleman actors:
2: <laughs> Miles O'Keefe, Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, Bronson, the Paul brothers—you name it, they're on it. And favorite, they're, they're up to issue two.
1: Yeah, my favorite thing about that is is that Miles O'Keefe's on there because the other ones are kind of popular names. I mean, even Jim Brown's pretty popular and everything else. But when I opened it up and I saw Miles O'Keefe, I was like, oh shit!
2: <laughs> that was incredible.
1: Very few people know who Miles O'Keefe actually is. I mean, you got to be a real genre film fan to know Miles O'Keefe. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and we're going to cover some Miles O'Keefe in the future.
1: That's awesome. Talk about stone face acting again. With tough tits,
2: naturally. Yes,
1: he loves to take the shirt off. All right.
2: and But <laughs> well, yeah, I do. we do want to thank her because it really made our day. It was just, it's, it's an incredibly creative and wonderful thing that I'm almost tempted to blow up to magazine cover size, frame it, and put it on the wall here in my studio.
1: Nice. That would be great.
2: I think the, I smell a Christmas present request for my wife. <laughs> Again, she's going to be like, hmm. I showed her them, and she thought it was actually pretty awesome. It is was... awesome.
1: It is awesome. It's, <laughs> it's great. I love that it's called Tiger Tits. Yeah, that's fantastic. I like a little Tiger Beat for Tiger Tits. <laughs> I'm actually glad it's not called, you know, Tiger Beat. and That's always been a terrible name, in my opinion, anyway. I don't quite know what they were going for with that title. No, neither do I. All right, we got about three voicemails here. We'll go ahead and get going on those. Here we go. I think this will be Valencia. That's who... You know, was she was excited earlier. She couldn't help it and she had to get going right after the break. But you can blame her or you can blame Windows Media Player. Here we go. Hi
0: fellas. This is just this is Valencia and this is just a quick summary for, because for some reason it's cutting me off. Um, I listen at work. I try not to, but sometimes I have to have something to do while I'm working. Uh-huh. And um, Y'all, y'all will almost get me in trouble because I be laughing so hard. And so all, um, I finished listening to 36 and 37 yesterday. Um, good so, good so. I laughed at the tater salad, um, comment in the white MLK from, uh, number 36. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, sometimes I feel like I don't need to, to, uh, look at the film because i will make the, uh, the summary more entertaining. So, um, yeah, that's it. All right. Bye.
1: Yeah, that, that's fine. Uh, if people don't want to watch the films, that's fine. We, we love talking about them. So if that entertains you, that's just as good, uh, yeah, that tater salad thing or potato salad or tater salad or whatever, that's, uh, kind of taking a life of its own. Hopefully there'll be no magazine mock covers of that. <laughs> well, hopefully,
2: literally, tater salad doesn't take a life of its own. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because then we have probably the most unfortunate blob-like event unfolding in the history of mankind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't I, even want to envision that. <laughs> what I want to say is if, if in fact, your discharge is that chunky, go see a doctor immediately.
2: <laughs> Please do. <laughs> yes, and don't bukkake
1: anyone in the meantime. That's just unkind. Oh, you said Bukaki. Now Eskimo's going to call in. <laughs> right. It's the magic word to get Naked Eskimo to call in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, uh, thanks, Valencia. We haven't heard from you in a while, so it's good to hear from you again.
2: I'm glad we did. V is a sweet girl from the Peach State. Yes. Hot Lena. Yes.
1: All right. Next voicemail.
2: Here we go.
0: Hey, guys. Uh, it's Rupert. Um, just a quick call this week. Sorry, I may have even missed the deadline for this week's show. I just listened to the Black Belly um, tra- of the Tarantula Blast Fighter show. Good stuff. I um, uh, just wanted to send in a little birth announcement. Uh, my wife and I had uh, our daughter Raven uh, Wednesday the 23rd. A feature genre fan, to be sure. Um, and I uh, just wanted to let you guys know that she uh, is definitely going to be a fan of all things genre-related when she gets old enough. Um, but anyway, um, love the show. Um, showed my son Last Dragon a couple nights ago He thought it was awesome And I had forgotten how good that last scene is The last fight scene is really, really great um, We had a good time um, And uh, thank you guys for bringing up uh, Perfect uh, And uh, Killer Workout Which I've never seen And I must find I immediately went online And of course it's not on Netflix that I can see So I'm going to have to do a little digging But I will uh, definitely be looking that one up sounds too amazing to miss but anyway uh, great show thank you guys
1: all right good old Rupert Uh, yeah future genre fan congratulations to you and your wife indeed Uh, his daughter I've seen pictures
2: of her on Facebook she's very 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 cute and the awesome thing is one of uh, Rupert's friends created a little baby onesie for her that has the rules of roadhouse like uh, what's his name Dalton's rules take it outside and all that on the onesie nice Nice. In the back, uh, to have a, a full Swayze connection. The
1: back says nobody puts baby in the corner. <laughs> Sweet, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what was he talking about? He's talking about the aerobics exploitation films again. Yes, Killer Workout and uh, Perfect. Yeah, Perfect is more of a Hollywood type film, but uh, that was, I think, that was the the peak of the aerobics craze and whatnot. But yeah, I hope he checks out Blast Fighter. I was twittering with him uh, the other day and telling him to check out Blast Fighter because I think he'll like it quite a bit. I'm I'm certain he would. Yeah, I'm pretty positive he will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get next here for the next voicemail. I'm sorry, I'm uh, a little slow this morning.
2: <laughs> That's okay. I'm slow every morning. <laughs> All right, next. Here we go. Hey, gentlemen, it's Emily. I just had a very quick response to something Naked Eskimo
0: brought up last week in the feedback. Uh, he was talking about what sounded like really bad direct-to-DVD rip-offs of popular titles, and you mentioned the um, Zombies on a Plane movie. And I just wanted to say really quickly, its I know the movie he's talking about. It's um, Flight of the Living Dead, a.k.a. Plane Dead, but, uh, P-L-A-N-E, ha-ha. And it's actually pretty good for what it is. It's one of those you know, quick, fast-moving zombie DVD movies, but it, it does a decent job. It has some actual actors in it, and it's not a bad time. So I'm sure most of the other titles from that line are pure rubbish, but, you know, just a quick defense to a, a little hidden movie that's not terrible. That's it. So bye. Yeah, I
1: like that. bye. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we, we, uh, that's the asylum, guys, and... uh yeah, I've seen. Fly. I've, like all of their titles. They're very creative with their titles, you know. The snakes on a plane, not snakes. Snakes on a train, right? Snakes on a train. Yes. And then Flight of the Living Dead, which is actually quite, uh, quite a good title, and actually quite a good idea. I can't believe nobody had ever come up with it until, until then. You know, zombies on a plane. That seems like that works. Well,
2: you get in in Umberto Lenzi's awesome Nightmare City. Yes, the, the zombies are on the plane, and the plane lands, and then they kick open the door and have machine mm. guns in hand. So, <laughs> you just don't see the on on plane mayhem. Yes, uh, and I do want to tell Emily actually. She has a picture. Speaking of Facebook, uh, she has a picture of her sporting the Camp Crystal Lake counselor tag. I have one of those. I got it at last year at the Rumorg Festival. My wife got it for me, and it hangs from my car and. Nice. People ask me, "Oh, I didn't know you were a camp counselor," and I said. "Oh yeah, yeah." They <laughs> think I do some defense course because it says uh, uh, head of uh, swimming, hiking, and fending off machete wielding maniacs. And They think I did like some defense course there. It's like,
1: uh, no. <laughs> nice. Yes. Uh, that's the asylum guys, and we, uh, we 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 talked about maybe doing some a show with theirs because you know we like the uh, uh, the titles and stuff. The day the earth stopped is still uh, just a great title. And uh, of course, you know they've just released the now infamous—was um, it Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus? Yeah, yeah, that's the now infamous film. Emily, well, we we, we are thinking about the uh, doing the Asylum show, so maybe Flying the Living Dead wouldn't be a bad one to do. I don't know. I've heard some good things about that one, so maybe we ought to check that out.
2: I've also heard some good things, so I think that maybe Mega Shark or the, there's the possibilities. I think are endless at this point.
1: Uh, yeah, with them they are because you know all they need needs like five million bucks, and bam, they got an idea. Five million, five thousand million, $5,000. That's true. All right, so that is feedback, and that is our show for this week. Uh, again, we'd like to say our thank yous. Uh, head over to popsyndicate.com. Check out all the shows over there. Uh, a lot of good stuff over there. I've actually, I've actually heard that uh, Family Movie Night is getting a forum board over there. That's interesting. That's great. They have gotten
2: one. I've actually posted on it because nice. uh, Doc has a list of films that they're going to be covering, and there's one in there that if you're not paying attention – You'll just see, and you oh, go, what? <laughs> it's uh, let's just say it involves the urine inferno.
1: Yes, congrats, congrats to them. Uh, they do a great little show, and I'm very happy to see them over there. And also, first time caller has boards over there too. So, congrats to them as well. It's good oh, to have yes. them part of the family. They were actually part of the family anyway, but now they are officially part of the family. <laughs> it's Indeed, good. it's good to have them over there, and. Um, with that being said, make sure you check out all those shows. Like I said, uh, make sure you check out MondoMovie, MondoMovie.com, Chin Stroker vs. Punter, chinstroker vs. Punter.com. I had a whole Chin Stroker weekend. I listened to like six Chin Stroker shows this weekend, so great stuff as usual. Uh, well, who else am I forgetting? I'm not forgetting anybody else. I'm, 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 oh, Andy. Don't forget Andy. Andy, DestroyTheBrainOnline.com. Actually, Andy's, uh, I think, two-year anniversary of doing a podcast is today, I believe, as we record this. So
2: Oh, wow. Well, well, happy anniversary, uh, Mr. Chief and Brock.
1: Yeah, congrats to Andy. Also, check out Paracinema Magazine, paracinema.net. Uh, don't forget Cinema Day Bazaar for all your hard-to-find genre film needs. Uh, and, of course, the promo code is GENTLEMEN.
2: For 10% yes. off, your already low-price low, low price order.
1: Yes. And, uh, okay, who else am I forgetting now? I know we got the blogs, but I'm trying to think if there's anybody else I'm forgetting. Um, um,
2: oh, <laughs> well, of course, I think it goes without saying the Pop Syndicate family of shows.
1: Yes. I, well, I've already talked about them, really, but... You know, we can always mention them again. <laughs> uh,
2: yes, yes. Uh, beyond that, I can't think of anyone. And if we did forget them, we'll remember them next week. Yes,
1: yeah, so you just do the uh, usual things, guys. So keep voting for us at Podcast Alley. Uh, PodcastAlley.com. We leave your iTunes reviews. Uh, we got some good ideas for iTunes reviews. You probably heard a little bit of it last week. But some contest stuff, just keep leaving those reviews. We really appreciate them. They really help. And uh, you want to mention the blogs now?
2: Yes, we have This Is Quiet Cool, which is Hans's blog. It's This Is Quiet Cool. We have uh, Big Suck Loser or and, and or Dear Bastards. That's King Mob's blog. We have Emily's blog, Deadly Dolls House. We have Ghetto Tim's blog, uh, The Glass Pop Syndicate, which I don't think he's had a new one up in a while. We have nakedeskimo.blogspot.com for your favorite bukaki mavens uh, thoughts on things. Um bukaki blog. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, cream of mushroom soup blog.blogspot.com is his blog. Ooh. <laughs> um, am I forgetting anyone now? That's the sixty-four thousand dollar question.
1: We probably are forgetting someone, and if we are, we apologize. We really do, but we—we we, it's really hard to. I'm, I think I'm just going to do like uh, F13 did and record a bumper for all this stuff, and then just go back in and add new stuff whenever we get it. <laughs>
2: well, I think that I was actually thinking about that myself, so <laughs> I do think we should do that
1: because it's really hard to to remember everybody. But just know we love you all. Indeed. No matter what. All right. So. Uh, I think that's it. We need to go over what we're going to be watching next week. And we are going to do that. We actually, I know a long time ago we promised to do a Paul Newman show, which we still haven't gotten around to. <laughs>
2: maybe we'll do it on the one year anniversary.
1: Yeah. Uh, or at least we'll mention it again on the one year anniversary and then we won't do it again for another year. Yes. <laughs> but we are going to do the David Carradine show. We're not going to do it next week, but we are going to do it soon. Uh, we're actually going to be maybe taking a week off in July. We're kind of debating on that. I'll be on vacation, and we don't know if we're going to put a show out or not. We might just put a single-man show out. We just don't know what's going to happen, so we'll we'll keep you guys informed, but uh, it's good every now and then to take a week off. And uh, I believe, yeah, you want to go go over what you want to cover next week?
2: Yes, I know normally it would be the time to do a Cinema de Bizarre film, but we're trying to get some logistics worked out um, to get you some of the titles we plan on covering from them the next little while. So I would imagine may have a little bit of a run on them. So until then, um, my choice for next week is actually what I think is uh, the craziest, most insane stunt work martial arts film to come out of Hong Kong during its golden era, and that's Jackie Chan's police story. Uh, Everyone's going to get to see what an OG Jackie really is and not the happy, smiling Chinese man that most of uh, the general masses think he is, because he is a bad man.
1: Yes, looking forward to watching that again. And my pick is something I've been wanting to cover forever. Uh it is Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. We've been talking about covering this forever, and it's kinda in the podcasting community it's kind of gotten around out there. A lot of people are watching it and, and talking about it and stuff. And it's very it's a very unique film, and I've been wanting to cover it forever, so that is what we're gonna cover on my end. So that'll be it. Police story and Phantom of the Paradise should make for an interesting show, to say the least. <laughs> very interesting. It'll be our first De Palma, won't it? Yes, I believe it will be our first diploma. So. First in a long line,
2: or at least a medium-sized line of yes. uh, diploma Palma goodness, because we're both big fans of his early work. Yep.
1: So that'll be next week's show, so hopefully you guys will tune in and check it out. So until next week, I will say adios.
2: Adios!
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. You better watch yourself.